Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. My name is Jeff Sharon. We got Eric Lopez in the house. We got the student of the game, Kyle Nash, in the house. We got Bryson Turner in the house. Boys, we can smell it now. Football's right around the corner. We got uniforms that are coming out on Friday. It's it's we still don't know who the quarterback is as of recording. But <laughs> Kyle's going. Kyle's going. Kyle's covering the NFL game on Friday. He's yeah, go Ky- see Kyle Griffin. Kyle out here. Quest Mr. for defensive Bro- player of the year. Mister NFL Insider out in freaking Canton, Ohio, man. Like at the Hall of Fame, yeah, rubbing elbows t- with the greats. I, I did come across Jack Youngblood and Chris Bergman in the hall after the ceremony. That is true. Did you talk to them? I did talk to Jack Youngblood. Yeah, I mean, the funny story, uh, a mutual uh, a friend of ours, uh, Elo, in um, Chris Hill, the captain, um, who I work with a lot, uh, had seen Jack Youngblood's gold jacket at the uh, dry cleaners and talked about, oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> pointed it out and all that. How would you like to do that? Run into an NFL Hall of Fame gold jacket as a dry cleaner? <laughs> well, no, he just saw the jacket. So when I'm walking through, I'm looking at the busts as one does when there's, you know, traversing football heaven, as Marshall Falk dubbed it. Um, and sure enough, I happen upon none other than Jack Youngblood. And I told him the story. I said, hey, you know, Mr. Youngblood, I know you live in Orlando, right? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. So, so my buddy was telling me how cool it was that he saw your jacket at the cleaners the other day. He won't get whittily gets a load of this, right? He had a good laugh out of that. So um, <laughs> and there's Kyle Nash's name drop of the show. That's right. right there you go. There you go. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk a little bit about what we know from football right now. We have one more scrimmage this weekend. It's not open to the public as far as I know. Uniform not even reveals- Kyle? I know uniform reveals coming out on Friday. This is actually, I feel like we're we're on the cusp. We might find out real soon. That's why we're recording this late on a Thursday, is because I wanted to give everybody enough time. Yeah. I, chances are, by the time you hear this, we may already know. I don't know, but uh, if our luck is anything like that, but we have our first Olympic sports preview interview. Tiffany Roberts Sahadak, UCF women's soccer, gets to join us. There, we're, we're, and. Their season finally back to normal after they had back-to-back spring 21, fall 21. Now they're back to a normal schedule, and they got some scoring that's coming their way this season. I'm really excited to see what they have to do, so we'll hear from Tiff. And uh, we also talk a little bit about, a little bit later, we'll talk about the Big Big Ten's television deal and the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame inductees as well. So, 
Big show, but let's go ahead and get started with uh, UCF football practice, which continues apace uh, as we are now uh, 21 days as of this recording. We're recording this Thursday night, August 11th, three weeks from the opener, boys. And Kyle Nash, you've been uh, ha- uh, hanging out around uh, pressers and the team. What do we know? First of all, give shouts to my dude, Bryson Turner, stepping his game up, doing the dang thing on Tuesday, throwing that down too. He talked to T. Will as well. But I'll say this, when I was there uh, during the morning of this recording, shall we say, um, you mentioned that air of football is coming, like winter if you're a Stark and winter fell. But anyways, no, so too many TV wrestlers. Brace yourself. Right, but. The punchline is when co- when offensive coordinator Chip Lindsay mentioned three weeks, there was a visible lift in the room when he uttered those words upon the mic during the press conference in question. Now, obviously, he didn't announce a new starting quarterback, but he seems to be going out of his way to mention the maturing and, and, and development of one Thomas Castellanos. Hey, like any good coach that wants to see a player do well, get his recognition, he's probably up there call it a Herb Brooks kind of thing who uh, coached the miracle uh, USA hockey team, getting his assistant coach out there in the press conference when they acted like he was taking too much spotlight. No, no, no. In this case, um, coach Lindsay definitely did his part to make sure Castellanos is getting his, his credit and, and for what he's doing in the camp, even though we both know, or we all know that the, the biggest targets to start are obviously uh, John Rice Plumley and um, Mikey Keene, but say all that to say uh, I asked him too about the defense as he's calling plays against them on a regular basis. And, you know, he's enjoying the fact that they actually expanded depth just between (laughs) spring and summer. We've been talking about this uh, amongst ourselves on our various group chats about that depth being an issue on the defensive side. And um, it was interesting hearing his perspective on what improvements he's seen and a little bit, he had him talk to us a little bit about the banter about the, how you say, the alleging that Bryson would have witnessed on Tuesday about the defense dominating the scrimmage, as they would have you believe. Did they dominate so much is really kind of what they said. But, you know, I got to give Coach Lindsey credit. He talked about the bantering between he, T. Will, and the coaches and how that kind of carries into the team to keep struggling and or rather reduce the struggle in battle through the grind of camp. So, you know, uh, every. Every time I hear about that, I think of that Joe Burrow clip. You know the one I'm talking about? Um, there are Joe Burrow clips. Well, yeah, but, but like there's that one where, it, you know, he's 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 breaking down the team to start practice at LSU. It's a senior year, the big the big year that he had at LSU. And and he said and, and he gets under and he, and he and he calls out his counterpart, the defensive captain. I forget oh, who it was. I have and, seen You've seen it. It floats around on social media, and he's like, "Hey, you ready? You ready for us to get after that? You know what over there?" <laughs> and like now, now Kyle, you've had the benefit of actually playing, which the three of us never have. Right. Okay. So, how for those of us who haven't been in the trenches like you have, how real is that? Like in 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 summer practice when you're getting ready to go, like you know, oh. it's it's O versus the end, and, and I'm we're going to get after you today. I'll tell you what, and it's it's one of those things where you've just been staring at this other dude in practice, you know, and for me, it happened to be the best player on the team who was our defensive end, the defensive captain, Dan Turcott was his name. And 
I, as a relatively new player, I was battling him, and it was special, though, when we got to the actual um, black and blue scrimmage. It's black and blue, you know, because that was the color of our jerseys. You can't see it in the video here. But Where try. were you in high school? Um, no, I was actually playing semi-pro ball. I did not. Oh, oh where you play? Where, where are you playing cool. semi-pro ball though? That was um, here locally in Orlando. Uh, it was for the Orlando Rage for the Southern States Football League. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, with uh, with uh, Jacksonville Jaguar uh, fellowship participant for the coaching program there for the diversity coaching program there. PJ Jack is my quarterback. Anyway, mm-hmm. so. Um, I see all that to say it was different, you know, after practice, you get that first scrimmage in and there was some next level stuff. I played in a way I didn't know I was capable yet. And it was just the first scrimmage gentlemen. I mean, you know, I, I got a lot of playing time as the top backup on, uh, on the O-line, um, at that point there. And, and it just hits different. You hold blocks a little bit longer. You, you press linebackers down the field just a little bit more cause you know, it's live. So yeah, it's real. Are the are the the non XFL rage still a thing? Um, they are not. They okay. they uh, they 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 um, changed names and ownership some time ago, and uh, you know, it turned out that's a good thing with the uh, XFL returning to town. Probably a good well, idea there. Right? I, yeah. Well, I, what, what's funny about that is I actually I know that they were the they were the um, the result of when the Orlando. Panthers merged with the Orlando Stars and Very for good. one season mm-hmm. I actually did play by play for the Stars there when I was in college well, at one point. So but yeah. anyway, if for, yeah. for the for the three people who know anything about that, I'm sure. Well, I'll tell you, I just I've known Kyle but, for a long time and I just found out we both have a mutual friend that he played with just now on the air, which we'll have to talk about off the air. Um yeah. and Dan Turcott. The Dan Turcott. But shout out to Dan. Yeah. But uh Obviously, everybody wants to know it's the quarterback position, Kyle. With, and of course, we have t- two guys in the mix. And Gus has been saying we're going to have hopefully. Have Kyle, Kyle would lead us to believe there's three, but or actually, no, Coach Lindsay would lead us to believe there's three. Hey, that's good to hear. But <laughs> trying to throw us off the set, we're uh, we're on to you, Coach. Here's my thoughts here, Cox. I watched Gus's reaction after the first scrimmage because he's been saying up to this point, "Hey, we." We'll probably name a starter after the second scrimmage. Usually the team knows by that. He was asked after the first scrimmage. He's like, well, you know, it doesn't have to be the seconds. We kind of backpedal a little bit. He's a little Michael Jackson backpedaling there, moonwalking. So my theory is I don't think we're going to have a name starter anytime soon. Yeah. I, I think we will. I, my prediction, I think Mikey Keene will take the first snap against South Carolina State. But I think all the quarterbacks are going to play. And I think they're going to, both him and Plumlee are going to play a lot. I think partly because of strategy, because you want Louisville to focus on tape on both guys. But I don't think we're going to know for real who the quarterback is until we see them play somebody else, whether it's maybe after the South Carolina State game, or it might be even after the Louisville game before we have a better idea of who's going to be this guy. Do you buy that, Kyle? No, listen, that's a strong take by you, Eric. Obviously, no, none of us truly knows is the point you often make to correct those who, uh, like me, who pontificate a little too early sometimes. And I get you on that. On this one, I think, though, you do have a pretty strong take there, especially Coach Lindsay himself was asked directly, too, about whether Saturday will be the line of demarcation. And he did the very famous, I'll defer to the head coach kind of answer, you know, something along the lines of, you have to ask Coach that. He, 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 they're not even sure if they're going to be live yet. 
um, from what I could tell yet for full contact on Saturday. I'm doubtful of that. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll put it this way. We've actually seen that situation you've talked about panning out in the past uh, when yes. remember Brandon Wimbush and Dylan Gabriel, who yeah, I said, same thing. Yeah, who I said yeah. in the spring game would be starting very soon. I didn't know it was going to be that soon. But I, you know, between that. And but I, you know, but if, I remember after the FAMU game, a lot of people felt like maybe Gabriel should be the guy, right? Remember that? We we're like, yeah, you know. And then next thing you know, FAU then game. Then he's starting at FAU, yeah. I, I was one of those guys screaming that very thing, Elo. And I'll tell you what, um, you know, it's very interesting how the injury of a player, in this case, DJ Mack, can alter the course of a team's history. Well, the tricky thing about the practice Neither Plumlee or Keene can run, at least in the first scrimmage. That's what Gus said, that they're pretty much stationary, which obviously is a is an advantage to Keene over Plumlee. Plumlee, for him to be effective, it's going to be with his legs and his arm. Not, well, you know, he's not. Well, yeah, but I mean, back. that's that's the nature of like the practices that they're running, right? Like, you know, if if a, if a defender gets within, you know, a, you know, two yards of him, they sure, push sure, him to sure. play dead. So correct. But there's that element there. And, you know. Gus said afterwards, I think somebody asked him in the presser, hey, what stood out about Mikey Keene from last year to this year? And he basically said, well, yeah, he knows the system. He knows how to read and everything. I'm like, well, isn't he supposed to know that already? Like, that's that's that makes sense. But it wasn't like, whoa, this guy's a completely different guy. So I'm not sure that this race is going to end this weekend. I could be proven wrong. And even if he does name, he's going to name a guy at some point. Sure. I don't, I don't think this race ends until after South Carolina State or Louisville. But let me reiterate this, and, and I'm taking your role again, Elo, as that voice of reason that has to pop out every as now well and then. well, you should. The, on the, only thing, the only thing that we know for a fact, gentlemen, is that he's going to evoke a two-quarterback system, as he yeah. did Joey Gatewood, and say, listen, Jeff and I have had our philosophical debates about who should start for this football team. All we know for a fact is at the very least – John Rice Plumley is a much more talented Joey Gatewood, and I think you'll see a lot more changing of pace, certainly dependent on the opponent. You, you know what I think would be – this is going to be my little shot in the dark per, uh, prediction because I, I don't know if this would happen early in the season, but I feel – I but like I will think – I think that this could happen at some point. We know that Plumley has experience as a wide receiver. Oh, no, no, I, no, 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 no. I'm no, gonna say let's trick. Let's let me finish. Yeah. Trick, trick play, Philly, Philly special style. Mikey Keene to John Rice Plumley. Yeah, that right itself. I, I mean, yeah, but you you can't run that every play though. I mean, no, you can't. You're, you know. No, you can't run that every play. I just think the, I what I'm trying to kind of highlight with this is is the fun possibilities that having both of these quarterbacks has in but, store for this UCF team and. I mean, even when you factor in Thomas Castellanos, I mean, 20, if 2019 taught us anything, I mean, we didn't really think about Dylan Gabriel a lot until he really burst onto the scene in the beginning of that 2019 season. And it's looking like that it's go we're, we're going to get that again in a sense that it's going to be who really, I think, really shows out in that South Carolina State game, that first game. It's like South Carolina State is the 2019 FAMU game where the quarterback that might have the most positive momentum going is going to be the one that gets the so, starting job. So you're saying like, it's, it's basically like an NFL preseason game in that respect. Like they both get reps with the ones and, you know, against live action and see what happens. I mean, South I mean, Carolina it's, state, I, it's a scrimmage. 
It's a third scrimmage. It is what it is. I think, but I don't think you're going to throws more than five passes in the game at some point. I'll right. My my only objection to Plumlee playing whiteout. I actually think our receiving core is pretty deep. I mean, that's Kyle. You've been there. They yeah, been I agree. With you. Receivers. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if I don't know if he could. You know, listen. He's really good. He's an, he's an amazing football player. I don't know if he can crack the depth chart at wide receiver. You know, a lot of times quarterbacks are put at wide receiver because they they uh they are a better application of talent there there have been nfl examples of that eric that, crouch remember him for example yeah i yeah. can we, we can name a couple too uh, i i what was it matt jones matt jones yeah um before his off the field stuff and i could go on Cord- and on. cordell stewart before he went back to quarterback anyway gary yeah right uh terrell Pryor, etc but yeah. um the punchline i'll hit with this is with plumley to your point, Bryson, he he could play wide receiver at other institutions, or he could just take all of that as somebody who's played for a quarterback converted to wide receiver. It's a very unique experience. Um, that and and do things that will throw off game plans in the backfield and do that with much more skill. Um, but of course, trick plays are on the table. I'll see that and raise you this, Bryson Turner, going next level. Uh, you're old enough to know who Reggie Bush is. I hope. But there was so much around hype around him that he was practically a rookie of the year candidate just because of fakes. He might have only had a handful of touches on the ball. They were going to pretend they're going to do what you think they're going to do with Bush and then completely fool you by just playing normal football. John Rice Plumley might have that very same effect. I, I my, my concern with that part, though, is the fact that, you know, if you do that, when JRP's on the field, you know, ever, ever, all 11 guys on the defense are going to be looking at him. You know, it, you, you're, you're not going to be able to. Yeah, I mean, fair, but you better have something something good in store. So um, practice continues to pace. The scrimmage is on Saturday. Uh, I believe not open to the public. Um, <laughs> it's more, it's more, op- it's more, uh, more data for the coaches to try and ingest in the next uh, three weeks before the, opener against South Carolina State. Zooming out regarding the future of college football in general, UCF in particular, uh, we've got some more movement on the conference front. John Auerand of Sports Business Journal was the first to report this, and uh, multiple outlets are now reporting that uh, the Big Ten conference is nearing a media rights agreement with Fox, CBS, and NBC. They are going they're they're going NFL style, man. They're going they're going whole hog. They're taking their uh they're also taking their products off of the Disney uh platform, ESPN ABC, for the first time in 40 years. They were one of the first ones to actually televise, you know, early Big Ten football oh, no. and, and the early parts of cable. But uh, now they're going uh, with Fox, CBS, NBC. Looks like they're going to have the noon games on Fox. CBS, NBC will kind of split a 3.30, 7 o'clock thing. So now, what the hell does this have to do with UCF? Well, notice who's not in that th- that little group there is ESPN and ABC. Now, granted that, uh, that the ESPN family does still have the ACC. They do still have the Pac-12, such as it is. They still have, the, of course, the SEC, which is their, which is their, uh, which is their crown jewel, at least as of right now. But 
Eric Lopez, a lot of inventory just opened up on the ESPN family of networks with which to put the Big 12 and consequently UCF. So what does this mean for the Big 12? Well, I think it increases the likelihood that they will end up in some partnership with ESPN slash ABC. By the way, Kyle, somebody in this podcast has been saying for a while that these conferences, college football is going more the NFL model. Who brought that up? I don't know. That was me. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much. To lean into it. Listen, just because you have hair, good hair, just like I do, doesn't mean- amen to that, brother. Um, this is a this is a big risk. I think going I don't... with all three of these networks, don't you think? For football, no. For the other sports, yes. Uh, it depends who you are. If you're Ohio State or Michigan, no, because Ohio State and Michigan can draw on if they were on C-SPAN. So uh, I would, I would but, argue USC too. USC might actually want to win a game, a few games, you know, be relevant again at some point. There's um, a reason they got pulled into this league. So <laughs> no, but feel it's, free to win. Like feel free to win. Like something like relevant in the last. Like Matt Leinart and Pete Carroll was like a million years ago. Pete Carroll's won a Super Bowl since the USC was a relevant. Um, but. I think Ohio State, the Michigans of the world, I think they'll be. it's a great move for them. They're going to be fine. I think, look, you have to take the TV deal. I think it's good for college football fans, especially casual fans, right, Kyle? Like a general fan's going to be on a Saturday night. Hey, I could get football on ABC, football on NBC primetime. There's probably going to be some baseball postseason stuff going on. It's good sports television. So that's good. Uh, and it's overall good for the Big Ten from an exposure standpoint. I think this will hurt more the t- middle-tier, bottom Big Ten teams that are relevant, the Illinois, the Northwesterns. I don't think – because ESPN will never mention them ever again, and nor should they, right. So, uh, which is a good thing. Um, so I think the good They'll news for the Big Ten – CBS Sports Network. I don't think no, I don't think they will. USA. Oh no! I I have I have the article up right now. Yeah, they're not going to be on cable. They're not going to be cable. This is right, uh, Bryson. Read this well, article. They're going to be okay. strictly CBS NBC split with some Peacock exclusive. And I also I'm also seeing that FS1 and Big Ten Network. Correct. That'll be your cable home for the Big Ten, so they can draw those you know 20 people that watch the games. Um. So. <laughs> That's what, you know, to me, the big thing for the Big 12 is there's more inventory available to its ESPN for football and men's basketball. That's the thing that has been underreported because people like Andy Staples is too lazy to cover more than one college sport. Uh, you know, I like Andy Staples, but feel free to cover other sports. Uh, college basketball is the big story here that nobody's talked about. What is one of the marquee ESPN basketball events, Jeffrey, as a college basketball fan that happens every December? Oh, your Big Ten uh, ACC Challenge. Challenge. Well, that's going to go bye-bye now. That's a big loss for ESPN, as well as some of the Big Ten basketball games that they carry. And that's going to benefit the Big 12, which is the number one conference in college basketball. I keep saying that. ESPN now cannot afford, from an inventory standpoint, this is about inventory. People could say, well, college, why does college basketball doesn't matter? It doesn't draw the football. No, it's about content on your channels and on your streams. Basketball fills out multiple nights. Now, if you're ESPN, you have to keep the Big 12 basketball because if you don't, you're in trouble by losing the Big 10 and the Big 12. So that's why it's good news for the Big 12, but don't take my word for it. Take it somebody that actually knows what they're talking about. John Aran, 
Here's what he said on his podcast, Mark Shannon Oran, about the Big 12 and why he believes they are the big winners from all this. Brett Yormark, who is the new commissioner of the Big 12, and the Big 12 is sitting pretty. The Pac-12 is coming out with its rights first. The Big 12 is going to come right after it. But, uh, but by all accounts, the Fox still wants the Big 12. ESPN wants the Big 12. Look, ESPN leaving the Big 10 or the Big 10 leaving ESPN, however you want to spin it, depending on who you're talking to, they're not leaving college football. Uh, they have deals going well into the 2030s with the SEC, with the ACC. They have relationships with the Pac-12, with the Big 12. College football is part of their DNA. College sports is. They're going to be aggressive in trying to keep the Big 12 and the and the Pac-12. I'm giving Brett Yormark my who's up. That was uh, John Aran from uh, the Marchand and Aran, Aran uh, podcast. That's Brian Murphy's favorite podcast, by the way. Uh, shout out to Murph. But – I do think this is good news for the Big 12. I know some fans are saying, oh, I wish I was on NBC and or CBS and have my own deal. Like, no, you, no, you don't. Because you would be lost in the – you would just be – like, nobody would even remember. Hey, anybody remember when the Mountain West people used to talk about them? Neither do I. So um, – <laughs> last, last time they were talked about, they were on ESPN. Correct. And so I think most schools in the – like, schools in the Big 10, like Michigan uh, – Ohio State, USC, if they ever become relevant again, um, those won't be affected. I don't believe, by the way, people are saying, well, ESPN's not going to game day and going to go to a Big Ten. No, they're going to still go. They went to Ohio State last year when they were playing Oregon and it was a Fox game. So um, I think this will benefit the Big 12. I think this will really help them land a deal. I still think Fox could still also be in the mix for the Big 12. I would not be shocked if the Big 12 deal is very similar to what they have now except they probably have to take a few million dollars pay cut. And now when I'm saying that, I'm saying about the current members, not the UCFs. Like I, I've seen some of the big 12 people thinking they could get 45, 50 million. It ain't happening, brother. <laughs> but you might get 35, which for a, you know, UCF parade. Thank you. We'll take it. So some other schools in the big 12, not so five, much. Uh, five but, fold increase over what you see yeah. getting in the American. Um, but, that's and good. Cincinnati I think that's and Houston, I should mention. Yeah, but that's very important. I think it's good for to stay on the ESPN. Even if the football is not the number one priority for ESPN, let's say Fox could end up with the first you know, rights to the games, and ESPN says, fine, we'll just get the second pick as the second best Big 12 game. We just want the basketball. We want the Olympic sports, et cetera. Because as I'll get into later in the show, I think this is a bad deal for the Big 10 Olympic sports. I Even though they're going to get more money, the Big Ten never spends money on the Olympic sports like the SEC does. And I don't think we'll ever see a big – like Big Ten volleyball will probably never be seen again until the NCAA tournament. Until I actually college. really like what you mentioned there with uh, Fox and the Big 12 because they um, – the Aaron's article made a point to – uh, to mention that Fox Sports will carry the A package of games in the noon Saturday Correct. window. So what's that leave open for Fox? The 3.30 window. Correct. Which for a Big 12 game. And they would rather have a Big 12 game than a Mountain West game. That's now, their options right now. Now, if you're if you're the Big 12, when does that media, that media deal negotiation window open? It opens... Is it probably after the end of with the Pac-12 or is it? Or no, is a year. It a They're about after? a year apart. They're about a year. They're about okay. a year. So uh, the Pac-12 gets to go. Well, Pac-12 kind of rushed it quickly. And 
I actually don't think if people are making a big deal out of that. The Pac-12, the one thing they have, the only thing they have going for them is they can play games at 1030 at night or later. That's really all they have going for them. Uh, and that ESPN could probably get it for a few bucks and then kind of control it. Who's going to pick up the tab for the Pac-12 network? That'll be interesting. Um, if whereas anyone I think, picks it up, and Mike, uh, there were right. reports that the, that um, there's a skeleton staff there now. Right, and but I do, I, I do think it's not looking good. It's not looking good, but I do think they're with this deal, and looks like Notre Dame with the NBC version of this. Kyle, it's amazing. Notre Dame, man, they always find a way to make sure they're they nobody tells them what to do. Because Jack Swarbrick was pretty happy with how that all yeah, worked out. Because they don't have to join the Big Ten at all. They could be independent. And if that's the case, I'm not sure the Big Ten is going to expand right away. And that's not good news if you're Oregon or Washington. So they're going to have some interesting decisions over the next year uh, if any of that happens. Like I could see Notre Dame maybe leaving the ACC for Olympic sports, but not necessarily join full tilt. Um, the Big 12, by the way, I should clarify, according to the Seattle Times, is expected to begin media rights negotiations in the summer of 2024. Right. So we still have a ways to wink, go. Wink, 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 wink. Ways yeah. to go. Before... Yeah, it remind, yeah, yeah, it's kind of like when, you know, we negotiate with Kyle, you know, at a certain date, but, you know, wink, wink. <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, look who's, look who's going to be, look who's going to be in there, you know, one year in. Hey. We're going to be in there. And hey, listen, just like the point that Jeff makes, Elo, listen, I, I still ended up doing bowl games in the Super Bowl in Canton nonetheless, but I digress. The, the slide is this. I, there's a lot of stuff you talked about there, but clarify me, and I think this is a point we want made for the people at home to kind of understand this with the impact on the Olympic sports. My first instinct was, what do you mean it's a bad deal? They have the opportunity to be on major networks that aren't on cable, these Olympic sports. What is the, well, here's the thing. You're not necessarily going to see all of those, right? I think the issue is that because ESPN requires 24 hour a day uh, inventory as Jeff puts it, yep. um, they're going to be more guaranteed to air the games that of of the sports that need exposure and deserve exposure listen for all the playful banter between eric and i over women's basketball and softball they're both excellent products that need more exposure more people need to know that you're going to have a good time watching them well it i mean you know is that the issue do i have it right yeah no that's accurate i mean even uh, front office sports is reporting that espn saying they're going to turn their attentions to more women's sports and trying to lock up all the NCAA, the college football playoff and the NCAA championships, which people forget that contract that ESPN, ESPN currently pays $34 million for 29 NCAA Olympic sports championship 30, tournaments. 30, $34 million per what, per year? For yeah, total. That's it. That's it. They got a bundle. It was an incredible deal. That ain't going to happen in this is, new deal. Is it, is it, wait, is it per year? Yes. Per year, because what the NCAA did is they a sold million all and change the, per championship. Cor- correct, right. which was a it's a bet it's it's undervalued. Mm-hmm. Uh, because what they did is they sold all the sports together. I don't think that's going to happen in the next TV deal. That that deal expires after the 2024 season, and I think women's basketball, which they've already done the estimates, they think women's basketball could generate eighty to hundred million dollars per deal. A deal with yeah. the revenue they bring for the tournament. Wow. Softball is on fire on that. It'll be interesting to see if those sports separate themselves. I've heard softball, baseball, women's hoops can separate 
separate themselves and get their own deal and not share it with golf, tennis, all the other sports. The reason this is a potentially bad deal for the Big Ten Olympic sports is, Jeff knows this, what is the marquee Olympic sport in the Big Ten? In the Big volleyball. Ten. It's volleyball. Yeah, it's volleyball. Volleyball is the number three most watched sport on the Big Ten network, behind only men's basketball uh, and football, obviously number one. Volleyball. They, Jeff can read off the names, how many teams they have ranked in the top 25. This is a big blow for them because they're not going to be uh, available to ESPN family of networks now, uh, moving on. And some people think that could probably is going to cost volleyball now. Do we know uh, that for uh, sure, though? Like, like is, it, it, yes. is, does this deal, inc- this deal includes tier three? Yes. As of right now, unless something wow. changes, and again, it is reported, unless there's a late phone call, you will not see a Big Ten team on ESPN unless they are on the road playing at, at an SEC score, ACC score, or, you know, a school that is, you know, the American, uh, that ESPN owns, basically. Road non-conference. Yeah. Correct. That's it. Uh, everything else will probably be on those channels. And I think what's going to happen to the Big Ten Olympic sports is I think you're going to be, they're going to be on Big Ten Network pretty much exclusively. Hmm. Uh, maybe Peacock, which is a big difference than being on ESPN Plus, SEC Network, ACC Network, ESPNU, ESPN2. That's where a lot of these Olympic sports live when you're on ESPN Family of Networks, whereas if you're not, you're probably going to be on like BTN. So that's why I mentioned, Kyle, that's a bad, I think it's a bad deal for the Big Ten Olympic sports, even though they will make more money, but they don't distribute the money in the Big Ten like they do in the SEC, where all the sports actually get that money. More money left. Right. Last word on this. And I, and I, and I, Eric, I want to know your take on this real quick. And I, and I, and I had some discussions with some folks on Twitter about this too. <clears throat> I still think that the brand power of ESPN is still underrated because consider the normal casual college sports fan, right? They want to see if they if they're sitting at home and they just want to flip on a game. What's the first place they go? They go to ESPN. Typically, all right. Yeah. Uh, and see what's on the ESPN networks. With the Big Ten going away from this, the, it seems to me that they're really leaning into their product as being appointment viewing. Which, kudos to them for thinking about that. God bless you. You know, if you want to bet on yourself, bet on yourself. But I think that this is a major. It, it's it, it it's really gonna. I think this could hurt them in the long run in terms of the exposure of their schools to the casual fan, um, their overall portfolio. Yeah. Because you're not going to see, you know, you're not going to see, oh, wow, Illinois Northwestern, they're going to overtime. You know, you're going to have to look all over the place to find that, whereas you could probably easily find it on the ESPN2 if it was there. So, and in steps, quite possibly, if things work out the way – yeah, I think some of us are hoping the Big 12, right? All of a sudden, the Big 12 right. becomes, the different, that, I, becomes I, I, that sort of organic magnet for for casual what I will, right. right? I I will say in the Big Ten's defense, they have tremendous alumni. And so they will find, yeah, no they, doubt. they will draw. That's It's different than the Big 12 where, and that's, I think ESPN helps programs like UCF. UCF, think of what they gained from hosting college game day in 2018 think about like nobody would have talked about ucf if they were on fs1 that the south florida game against 2017 on black friday would not have been the same coverage 
if they're on FS1 or CBS Sports Network. That's sure. the diff. That's the big difference. The one thing I will say, and I think what the Big Ten's gambling on is, and I do agree to some extent, a big part apparently from the reports are the Big Ten did not want any of their sports on ESPN Plus. ESPN did. And then so what they did is they told ESPN, fine, we'll give you the number two games. You're going to have to pay $380 million, but you're only going to get 13 games a year versus 27 what you get now. That's <laughs> and, and, and I think the Big Ten even, there's people believe that the Big Ten feels ESPN's SEC bias and they just don't want to, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, because, you know, Fox is so ES- neutral. ESPN isn't, ES- isn't SEC biased. ESPN is money biased. Well, right? that's I mean, what they want. In, in anyone's defense there, watching Booger McFarlane butcher a broadcast on a regular basis, I, I can see why you see some SEC um, bias. I, I, again, I think the Big Ten will draw uh, because the alumni is big. Like, it's big. Like, Michigan's and the Ohio State's, they are bulletproof. They could draw whatever channel they're yeah. on. You can put them on and, BN Sport. They'll draw because they have a great alumni and following. And, but and, point, and those alumni are in major, and I know this, you know, maybe this isn't as much as, but they're in, they're primarily located in major TV markets. You got a lot of Big 12 alumni in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. You got a lot of Big 12 alumni that live in Chicago, obviously. a lot. And now with USC and UCLA, you're going to have a lot more in, in Los Angeles. And yes. if the rumor comes true, that they might be sneaking around with pot, you know, rubbing elbows with Stanford and Cal. Guess what that brings in? San Francisco, San Francisco, Oakland, the Northern California market. Yeah, although I think that's overrated because nobody in that market cares about those college teams. They care about the the team that uh, Kyle's wearing the hat of. The but you guy. just <laughs> said that it's the alumni who do care. Except Stanford right. doesn't have fans. That's the problem. They don't draw. Remember when UCF played there? It was an empty stadium. Like that. That's the most apathetic fan base. Them and Cal are the most apathetic college sports fans in the entire country. There's another point to be added here, but I want to see if Bryson's caught on onto it. I've seen him. I've seen him like he's ready to go to say something. I want to hear what it is in case. Because if he nails it and takes care of business like he did on my behalf on Tuesday at the press conferences, wow. I won't be able to give him wow. credit for it. Take a wow. shot, Bryson. Well, I mean, well, pressure much. Um, th- well, because as we were we were talking about this, and you know, Eric mentions how this benefits the Ohio States and the Michigans because they can draw anywhere. There was one interesting I thing that came to mind that made me think about this, and I was thinking, wait a minute, this feels like SEC on CBS sort of scenario. It, it kind of a comparison but the difference between the the SEC SEC on CBS game and now is that this is wholesale this it, this is completely wholesale because SEC may have gotten one game on CBS but they had the rest of their content on ESPN ESPN and that their family of networks where they can get exposed sure the biggest games can get uh, like Ohio State Michigan 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 State that sort those sort of games Penn, Penn State, Ohio State will get big numbers, like how the Iron Bowl always gets big numbers, but right. it's only going to benefit maybe the top one, two, like top five. The top half, all, right. That's, right. Exactly. That always yes. draws anyway and, the, and then leaves the rest of them and the Olympic sports in the dark because they don't have the exposure of and basketball and i think men's basketball is going to get take a hit a little bit from the big 10 standpoint because i think you're going to see a lot the sec and the big 12 will uh benefit from that extra exposure they'll get among other conferences no you're that's a good point i agree you're close though bryson that's not where exactly (laughs) but it's still a good it's still a good point here's the thing that i think jeff in his in his 
uh, worship to the uh, to the empire. No, hey, listen, Disney bought them. They can officially use the Imperial March. I get it. But I know I've made that pun before. I still love it. But here's the thing you gentlemen are forgetting about. Yes, it's a dad joke. I know, Jeff. Oh here's God. the thing you guys are forgetting about. And the conversation we're going to have on this show is about the cord cutting aspect. Gentlemen, I know people who have ESPN and endure the Imperial March the way that they do simply to catch their team. Now, Ohio State is betting that cord cutters and well, I don't know the na- the age of their alumni base necessarily, but I'm willing to say, let's just say it's significantly more old than UCF's alumni base. Yeah, typically statistically more technologically inclined to deal with they're, they're, that oh. let's just say it their alumni base is old just say i mean you guys are being really <laughs> you guys are being yeah you guys are being mean to like drew's family and everything i mean i mean come on now he's no, just true. but yeah, anyway fair no. you would agree <laughs> no that's a great point kyle though it's a great point and that's one of the things i want to see when this deal is finally announced and we can move on with our lives because i feel like we've talked about this pen big 10 deal for years where is the streaming going? Is Peacock, for example, going to pick up other Big Ten sports? Or are people still going to have to overpay to go to BTN Plus? That's a great question uh, for the other sports. Because you're right, and Bryson makes a great point. Yes, you're going to draw on Fox. You're going to draw on CBS. You're going to draw the NBC games. They're going to draw because we like football and television. And live, live sports right now is the most dominant property in live television. Because television, nobody can write a script anymore originally. So, but the question that Bryson brings up is... taking a cast iron pan to the Screen Actors Guild and everybody. No one is safe tonight, Jeff Sharon. (laughs) Let me tell you. Um, But Bryson makes a great point. Yeah, Michigan's going to draw. Ohio State's going to draw. Penn State, whatever. USC. Where is that Northwestern Illinois game going to be on? Is that going to be on Peacock exclusive? Like, who's going to tune into that? It's a good question. Illinois fans. Listen, let's let's not repulse... Are, are now Rutgers and Maryland's a Big Ten game. Don't repulse uh, Isaiah Bowser. He is a former Northwestern guy. Let's not go crazy. No. <laughs> I got to watch my boy, Scotty Frost, man. Come on, Nebraska. Where am I going to see him? I mean, he may, I mean, I have to worry about that after this I, year. I will say, Kyle, I did. I, 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 the second thing on my mind was the age demographic because let's think about it. Because one of the reasons that the NFL is so big as it has is because it has all those deals with the big network oh and i think that's a good and again and that's why I, yes that's why and it's so a good move for the big, the, 10. Yes. the big 10 if they if you talking about having that old higher age demographic base then having them on the the big networks three of the three of the four is absolutely perfect because no matter where they go because people that have watched that those channels for decades are now going to see their their favorite their favorite team or if their favorite team when they're good on that right. on that on that list they're, and i think right. that's going to be fun like it's going to make the rich get richer but i think the poor are going to get poorer i think that's I like that's a good description yeah they're betting on nbc and cbs to replace cspn and you know if they watch the nbc pregame on the, the uh, hall of fame game they're gonna be they they know what's coming which is a pretty mediocre product uh coverage broadcast i'll put it this way Jeff. Um, i like your point about the habit forming but the best way to form a new habit is to make it more convenient to get to because humans are lazy, brother. That's Amen what- to that. If only so, NBC had a sports network. Oh, wait, it did. Oops, now it oops. Wait, they did. 
Yeah. Well, that's okay. well, that's okay because all those Big Ten grads, they all, all they do is just have their TVs locked on CNBC anyways. Oh, <laughs> anyway, uh, we're going to take a break. When let's we get, come let's back, get, we're going to let Kyle go here. Are we are We let him go here? Is he going to get ready for his well, big yeah, Jaguar yeah. game? Yeah, Kyle has to Kyle has to go because he has to get ready to watch the Jacksonville Jaguars again. Preseason <laughs> opener in person. All right, quick thought here, Kyle. We're gonna meet, we're gonna discuss the Hall UCF Hall of Fame later in the show. Right. But I, I I would be we would be remiss. I want quick thoughts. Latavius Murray, Joe Burnett, both inducted. Your thoughts. I mean, listen, both of those are an incredibly big deal. I mean, Joe Burnett, just on the fun factor alone of him watching a punt, like kind of spin there and guys watch, is he going to pick it up or not? I don't know. And then he picks it up and takes it to the house. And then the whole situation where he gets drafted, I believe it was to the Steelers and then ended up playing for Minnesota as well. Correct. In that grouping there too. So, um, you know, other than Asante Samuel or Dante Culpepper, you know, as far as skill players go, one of the earlier in recent history to go uh, and just a fun memory uh, in general of what he would do on, on special teams plays totally cool with him getting in and Latavius Murray, uh, just what he's done. I, I find it very interesting how personality wise, at least between his playing career at UCF and in the pros, just having that workhorse capacity and ability, just when you think he's done, Oh wait, he's not. Um, just such a long career. I, I really am surprised he lasted as long as he has not because I think he's a bad player, but just the punishment he's taken over his seasons. And yet somehow is still churning. Definitely love to see both of them in there. Uh, fantastic additions to the hall of fame. We're going to talk about them in segment number three, but for now, Kyle has to go the student of the game, the SOTG on Twitter. Kyle, thank you for your insight. We will be following you. Uh, throughout the weekend through the scrimmage on Saturday. Any news that comes in, make sure, folks, you follow him, the SOTG for the student of the game on Twitter. Thank you, Kyle. Hey, honor, joy, and privilege. Until next time, class dismissed. Stick around when we return. Tiffany Roberts Sahadak, UCF women's soccer head coach, joins us to preview her team as they get ready for the 2022 season. Our first Olympic sports preview of the fall of 2022. We'll be right back. It's the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Jeff Sharon with you along with Bryson Turner. And we, oh my gosh, it's already here, Bryson. Can you believe it? It is time to start previewing like hardcore our fall sports. And we start with, as we do every year with the sport that starts the earliest. In fact, they've already got one exhibition game underneath their belt, the UCF women's soccer team. And joining us, of course, U.S. women's national team legend and the head coach of your UCF Knights, Tiffany roberts Sahadak. Hey, Coach Tiff, how are you? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for spending time with us. You know, we've got, I, I, was, I was just going to say, you know, I think it was like the last couple of years we've had you on the show for our preview and we we're like, you know, hey, let's talk about the team. And you're like, and it's like, it's like early August. And you're like, well, I, 
I feel like I'll know more in a week because we haven't even shown up yet. Because <laughs> you guys start yeah, so early. We haven't even had one training. <laughs> I know, I know, but you got you got the exhibition in against FAU, and and you kind of do. Do you feel like you're you starting to have a bead on 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 the on the team that you're going to have for 2022? Yeah, I think one advantage that we have, especially as a coaching staff, is that it's a veteran group. So. Um, of course we have new players, which we can talk about, but, uh, the good thing, it's always nice as a coaching staff when it's a veteran group and obviously there's always teaching, um, and reviewing and going over new things, but, um, or old things. Uh, but, um, I love, I love having a veteran group <laughs> for yeah. sure. Yeah. You, you, you return a lot of folks from last year on a team that, you know, when we look back at what happened, it was just bad luck all over the place. Injuries all because, you know, you had the goalkeeper of the year, Carol Delisle. You had the midfielder of the year and and you guys miss out on the postseason. I know how much that sticks in your craw, but it's like some, sometimes you roll the dice and it comes up snake eyes. Right. Yeah. You know, soccer is a funny sport. <laughs> it drives it's me nuts. Cruel but I, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's very cruel. And I love it at the same time. But. I know we had a good team last year, even though we didn't make it to the postseason. And we you, we won some huge games, like in the beginning of this season. And you know, we lost some games in conference that we shouldn't have, for sure. Um, but knowing that we have the ability to win some big time games with the, essentially the same roster, um, players coming um, back, um, that that actually gives everybody confidence because the players know that we won games and they had a, a, a fantastic spring season knowing, I, I think this, like knowing that majority of your team in the spring that you have, we, we think our preseason started in, in January because we, we weren't waiting for a huge group to come in that weren't here yet. And we didn't lose a lot of players, you know, like, so we actually started preseason in, in spring, which was nice. Tell yeah, me about, uh, oh, sorry, Bryson, I was going to say, uh, let's, uh, I wanted to ask you about Caroline DeLisle, because I know that you, you know, Eric and I, and Eric has joined us here in, in the podcast as well, you know, have talked in the past about how, you know, goalkeeper at UCF is kind of like playing center field for the New York Yankees or quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. Like you are, you know, you're the straw that stirs the drink and you got another great one in Caroline, don't you? We really do. And we're really lucky we've had her and, you know, this is not her, even her last year. So she has another season, you know, next year. So uh, she's a leader. She's a captain. Obviously she's very strong in her position. Um, you know, she, we didn't have her over the spring. Um, she had a hip labrum tear. So she was getting that uh, taken care of. It's not a major surgery, but obviously you're out for a while and she didn't get in the spring games, but um, you know, she's been rehabbing and, so far so good with everything coming back and she looks strong and, and ready to go. And, um, she split time with Liza Pistoria in our FAU, uh, exhibition and, um, they both looked great. So, um, but yes, Carol is a rock and even coming back from injury, you know, we're, we're thrilled about her and she's put in the work to be ready and be ready, just be ready to go. Yeah. I was going to say last year, I like, I really wanted to nominate Caroline Delio for because we have the Banny Awards that we do after the end of every academic year. I wanted so badly to nominate Caroline Delio for Female Athlete of the Year because 
even though the record might indicate otherwise, she was one of the t- one of the players that really kept your team uh, afloat last year. That I felt like you because you were guys yeah, were a really talented team. It just unfortunately things didn't really work out, and then of course everything else happened in UCF women's athletics. But one of the things that another things that succeeded was Kristen Scott on offense. She ended up getting double the number of goals that second that that second place on the team Ellie Marino got um I we I've heard I saw that Mia Asenho is joined is joining the team she talked had she was the, on the USLW league team this year how important is it to get somebody like Mia cuz I heard from Daria that having her back was a very big deal for you guys so how big is it to have her back alongside Kristen Yeah, so Mia is going to be, she's a red shirt freshman. So, you know, it was a a big blow when she called us her senior year this spring and said that she just tore her ACL. Because I I projected that she was going to be a freshman that would come in and make a huge impact her freshman year for us. And so not having her um, was a big blow. Um, But, you know, that happens all the time and we have to deal with it. And she is a competitor and uh, she's just like a crazy competitor. Like she's a role model and just has it, um, she, it's just in her blood to, to compete always. And so um, she was so resilient, dealt with rehab and has come back and used the whole summer to get games in with USL. And, uh, and I'd love to see that she was you know, top 11 and what a honor. And it's all due to her resilience and her hard work and the way that she's training in preseason right now. She's like, I'm like, she's so excited and I'm so excited for her and the team's excited about her. So she's going to be a huge, um, just a huge impact for us. Like she's going to be a big, big piece of our success for sure. Uh, yeah, I was. It was one thing I noticed is on the men's side they have that kind of uh, one-two punch on, in the forwards with Luca Dorado and Gino Vivi. Do you think that Kristen Scott and Mia can kind of have a similar sort of uh, role? Yeah, definitely. And uh, like I said, I think we have more depth than we've ever had. So um, I do think Kristen and Mia are going to have major impact and together and combine and. Uh, but but hopefully we'll have some others too that will step up and and help out as well. Now, Coach, I want to ask you about your summer because it's pretty pretty a pretty wild summer you had. You were with Team USA, helping them win the Conca uh, up in Mexico, which was a huge tournament, a tri- a birth to the World Cup next year, and a trip, a ber- automatic bid to the Olympics in Paris in a couple of years. Talk about pressure. Uh, so I was following you and Coach Ball Malone, who was in Birmingham with Team USA. Describe that experience, and I'm wondering if you two even inter- inter- uh, interacted with your respective uh, responsibilities as assistant coaches for the U.S. national teams. <laughs> we didn't have time to interact. We both were <laughs> encouraging each other, and it was like, hey, good job, go USA. Like, keep up the good work here and there with uh, via text message, but um, but not a ton of communication, although she's a good friend of mine. But um but yeah just an amazing opportunity um that I was given um that I'll continue to have actually um with the team so I'll continue to be with the U.S. Women's National Team through the World Cup actually um which is pretty exciting um but yeah just go full circle from being a player for the U.S. team and then now being on the other side and being coach and just being part of 
the program and just the environment, um, just to see how far we've come to as a federation and uh, the team and the resources and um, the, the, the parity within the women's game, just being in part of those games. And it's just, you know, winning CONCACAF back in the day um, what actually wasn't that hard. You know, we would do it and um, other teams in the world didn't have the same resources that U.S. did. So, you know, they'd have like a training session and then it'd be expected to, to play as a team and, and compete uh, to qualify for World Cup. Now all these teams have um, still some ways to go, but they still are getting a lot more resources and are in training camp and um, the, the, the players are playing professionally, you know, around the world. Um, so it's just a different time and it's pretty cool to see the parity and um, uh, the support that the women's game is getting now. Is this something hey, you, you always wanted ahead, to do? Well, is this something you always wanted to be a part of being a coaching staff on team? You said it just evolve and then kind of explain how you balance that now with being the head. You're not the only coach to do this, but now you're balancing this with obviously uh, running the program at UCF. Yeah, you know, it's not something that I actually had like on my to-do list. Like, oh, that I'm trying to position myself here and get strategic so I could be here. Like that's, never was on my mind my mind is UCF doing the best job that I can do at UCF I've always been part of the federation as an assistant coach for the youth national team so I've always had this um role popping in popping out during the spring uh with our U18s U19s um but it was always just this side thing that filled my cup that I really loved doing and out of the blue, last December, I got a call from Kate Mark Graff, who's the GM um, of the team. And she's like, hey, I'd love for you to come in and check out the senior team and meet the coaching staff. And I hadn't known them before and just like threw me in there and see how it goes. See if you mesh with the staff um, and the players. And I've been, been going ever since. I feel like it's like how I was as a player, like getting thrown into the mix as a 16-year-old and then figuring out, okay, what am I doing right now? And then you just keep getting invited back. So that's kind of how it's been. But um, how do I balance it? I mean, I can only balance it if I have amazing support and amazing staff. So thankfully, my husband and I work together. And, uh, and you know, our conversations are ongoing all the time you know we can have them at 11 p.m and uh and five in the morning because we live in the same house so it's it's no problem and uh we know each other so well that uh it, it doesn't matter he he or i like running the program in the moment or if i missed this you know i missed a spring game so um it's, it's no problem um and the team's aware and they're super supportive um, so it is obviously hard doing both, but everyone's been so supportive and the whole staff is so good. And Terry Mahajer has been so supportive about dual role and having that dual capacity. And this is a short-term thing. It's not going to be forever. Um, you know, UCF is my priority and it, and it is, it is. And so I'm not, not trying to do anything else, you know, but that, but I'm glad that I, that, that Terry is giving me that opportunity where I can do both and everyone's been so supportive, um, of my of my new role so but again but it's, it's short term it's short term it's not something i'm looking to do forever but it's still special I and mean, you know we, we know how much that you know that means to you and 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 it means to the sport in general too my question for you on it is well, as a coach and, and you don't have to real you know re reveal too much of the nitty-gritty obviously but what do you learn 
as a coach from working with the national team that you then apply, you know, at UCF and also vice versa. Because, so, you know, it, it's sometimes it's it's good to kind of it, it's like your regular competition, right? You learn a little something different when you're working with a different set of people. Yeah, I mean, I love it. I mean, there's so much growth that has happened in the past six months since I've been with them since January. And um, I think, you know, when you're, uh, you know, being a head coach and then working with my husband, it's like we're in this little bubble and, um, you know, we're bouncing ideas off of each other. But but if you don't have anybody on from the outside coming in and giving you new ideas, you know, obviously we're trying to evolve all the time and reading and watching and uh, going to other sessions of, you know, professional teams. And so you're doing your professional development, but um, it's really cool to be in a new environment and, and having being asked to do new tasks or think of something a new way, like as a head coach, like I'm the one in charge. So no one's really telling me what to do, you know? And so being an assistant coach in a different role on the essentially the best team in the world and being asked to do tasks that are out of my comfort zone, like, there's, there's no way I'm not going to grow and be able to bring some of that information, but just like that excitement and a new sense of like, this is a new energy, you know, coming back to the team. So, um, but I, I love like different ways of thinking and sharing information on how we can do things. And it's not just even tactics. It's even a, a way of organizing and uh, new ways of organizing training sessions or a new way of organizing uh uh, high performance and sports performance. Like you look at all of the, the ways we're helping our student athletes. And I think when you're on the best team in the world and you have all those resources, you're like, okay, we can supplement that and do that. It's just, you're taking little things and adding it to your own program. So uh, it's a major benefit and advantage, I would say. Coach, uh, speaking about finding yourself in a new environment, you brought in three transfers to the t- to the team. One, um, you have Georgie Collins from Florida, Kayla's Barton from Washington State, and then Anika Huta from your alma mater, North Carolina. So, um, can you talk about t- talk about them and what they will bring to the team, especially with Georgia and Kayla's both being defenders? Yeah, Anika has been with us since uh, January, so sometimes I forget she's she's actually new uh, because we worked with her all spring. Um, so I've been talking a lot about Georgia and Khalees uh, being new, but Annika, you're right. is new as well, but um, all three huge impact players. Um, uh, we talked about, you know, the, our defense and having Carol. And I think too, what's happened in the past is we haven't had a lot of depth in the back. And I think, you know, we start off strong and then we start to, we start to lose a little bit of, Uh, momentum because we're tired. I mean, 90 minute games, two games a week, going back to back, back to back. That, I mean, that's too much load on our players and there's no way um, you can keep up that type of intensity and performance and even mentally like being ready game in game out, you need rotation. And so what we have now with police and with Georgia who are defenders, we can have a rotation in the back, which is the first time in a long time that we've been able to do that. So um, I'm really excited that we have two um, more starters that can play in the back for us. So essentially we have right now, I envision six starters on our team in the back. Um, so I think that we're going to have a rotation back there and Georgia and Khalees are um, top class division one soccer players that you guys will get to see. And then Annika again is another uh, player in the midfielder in the midfield that can be a starting midfielder. So I think you're going to see rotation 
in all three lines for us this year. Um, in the past, you'll see a starting lineup and you kind of expect it, you know what to expect, you understand like who's going to sub on and there's, you know, three, four, maybe five subs that you'll see. I think you're going to see um, different starting lineups this year. Yeah, that sounds like that. That's definitely a good sign of but pull some depth back there. It's funny because I was actually talking to Daria at, at the uh, Michigan Troll uh, Star Sign event that she was at recently, and she told me there that she thought that um, another defender, Matilda Cack, would would is in store for a really good season. So, do you think that depth will be able to allow players like her to not get tired and be able to really show out a little more? Yeah, for sure. You know, like when you're you know, what if one, one center back plays 90 on Thursday and another center back plays 90 on, on Sunday. So it's like, you're going to get the best of them all the time because they're not just getting, they're not drowning by the end of the season, you know? So I think we can stay fresher, uh, longer. And, uh, they all know that they're like competing for the spots, but they also know that they're all good. And so there's confidence there and the rotation is going to be because of our depth, not because there's a starter and a non-starter. Um, and this is the first time that we've, we've really been in this situation. So I'm really excited about that depth and, um, the, the, the transfers that we've been able to, to get here in the past, you know, past six months. Coach, your schedule this year, you know, again, you have some of the usual suspects. We always, it's always, every year we always talk about how tough the schedule is, but, uh, I'll mix it up a little bit this year. I mean, you had, again, you got three SEC teams, including Florida who's coming in in the, in the regular season opener on August the 18th and just nine days already. Um, <clears throat> Ole Miss is coming to town too. Um, you also have Texas coming in as well as uh, two teams from, <clears throat> excuse me, from the, uh, from the ACC, including a trip to your alma mater in Chapel Hill in North Carolina, which I know you're looking forward to. Um, it, 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 tell us about the schedule, particularly in that non-conference slate, because, you know, that's where the, um, that that's where the, 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 the meat and potatoes are kind of when you get set up for that RPI as you look forward to the postseason, right? Yeah, for sure. And that's why we do it. So it's like, you know, I want to, I want to have a schedule where it, it's going to help us when, when postseason comes and the selection is happening. So um, yeah, we got to be able to win some of those top games, which we did last year, you know, like coming out of, out of conference, uh, the way I projected it, we were better than I thought we were going to be like in that situation. Like we overachieved in the out of conference. So we positioned ourselves really well out of conference going into conference. And then that's where conference, we actually underachieved in conference. Um, but if we can position ourselves again, like we did last year to get that part done, then in conference, you just got to win the games you're supposed to win. You know, obviously we have big goals and we want to win the championship. But, um, uh, you know, we've set ourselves up to be able to have a, hard, a good RPI. And, you know, in the end, if we didn't win the championship, then we should still be selected. So that's always the goal. Um, and I love just playing the best in the country. Like, why not? Like, let's, let's see where we are. And if we're not one of the best, then we'll know that right away. And we got to fix things. And, um, and then if, if we are at the top, then how can we maintain that? So, um, I'm excited about some of these really big time games that we have coming up and see where we stand. And then and you, confidence going into conference. Yeah, sorry about that. Well, I was going to say like, and you think too, the, like the American conference itself has gotten better in women's soccer. I think overall, like the, like the, the floor of the league, I think is higher. And there's a lot more teams that you're with right there in that, in that, in that upper tier, right? Like Memphis is back. 
was a three bid um, league last year. Could have yeah. been easily a yeah. four or five bid league coach. Right. Totally. Like we, the, the conference is very strong is can continue to be strong. And, um, you know, obviously we want to go out with the bang. Um, but it is, it is a strong conference with, um, you know, South floor is always good. And, um, Memphis is always good. And SMU is going to be good again. Um, Cincinnati always gives us a hard time. Houston's gotten, um, better and they have another new coach who I have a lot of respect for. So I know they're going to be a good team again, um, under, um, Jaime Frias and, um, you know, they just, you know, Tulsa has a, a newer coach and, um, Temple has a new coach. Like it's just the, the, the league overall is in a much better place. And yes, there are, it's, it's, there isn't a game. It's soccer. Like there's never an easy game, you know? Yeah. Um, cause it could be cruel. So you just have to be ready and, um, take it game by game. And, uh, we respect everybody out there. And with the big 12 coming up too, you know, in 2023, that's the other thing. I, I guess the, the American is coming up at, you know, just the right time because that's going to be another step up. What sort of thing are, are, are you right now, even with this season coming up, making your preparations for the conference transition and seeing what that's going to be like for your program? Or are you kind of like, ah, not right now. I got to focus on what I've got right now. Yeah. You know, it's, I think it's this balance because I think in recruiting, uh, look, you, we're looking into the future. So obviously in recruiting, we're thinking big 12 and, and we recruit to say like we're going in the big 12 and um, obviously. So um, looking at the future. Yes. Um, but then at the same time, right now in this season, no, we're, I'm looking at the American. We have a job to do this year and we want to go out with a bang. So um, I think it's more of like recruiting future, our current team right now, this season, we're in the American and we got to get things done. And, and, and that's the other thing too. Like, you know, we've talked about this with other coaches too. And I wanted to know your perspective from, from the women's soccer side is how, the move to the big 12 really impacted your uh, your recruiting in particular, like how did it, how did it change um, the kinds of players that you are now able to get in recruiting? You know, I think it's still evolving and it's still, it, it's changing. Like, I don't think it's like, boom, it's changed. And there's this major, major difference. So I think it's going to continue to change. And I think it's going to continue to help. I think just being part of the big 12, uh, with a big brand like that and being able to say power five. I mean, I've missed out on recruits initially and like the initial text uh, I'm looking at power five coaches coach, you know, uh, power five schools coach. Like we have a lot of respect for you. Great program, but I'm looking for the power five, you know, and you get that um, off the bat and it could be very frustrating, you know? So I'll be like, wait, we beat power five schools. Like, wait, you know? Uh, so to not have to hear that anymore is going to be very exciting. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great move for us and, uh, it's going to be very challenging for us. Um, and I love to be able to use it for, for recruiting. Um, cause I think the power five and the brand of the big 12 is, is, it means something to our, to our prospects. Scheduling. Uh, how does that affect your scheduling philosophy? I mean, you've played it, you play a tough schedule every year, non-conference, et cetera. Now you're going to the big 12. How does that affect your plan, your philosophy as far as non-conference scheduling. And of course, you're going to get asked, 
every UCF coach is going to get asked this question. You get, you just happen to be the first one. Yeah. What does this mean for USF? That matchup could that still be played down the road? Uh, and even a matchup against Memphis, which has a longtime rival of UCF. How does the Big Twelve change all that? Yeah, I mean, I still want to obviously play a strong conference, and I still have to evaluate that a little bit um, on how to approach it. Um, you know, there's some been some obviously thought and evaluation in it and analysis, but um, I do think that, you know, there's still some more homework to do with that. Um, but yeah, South Florida, I'm already in conversations with them to continue to play going you know, forward. Like, why wouldn't we do that? You know, the location, the rivalry, it's still there. And I always think that we can get a good crowd for that game. Um, and it's two good, two good teams that are, that play, you know, well, and it's just competitive. Like, every player wants to play in a game like that. So, um, but yeah, so, so I do think for sure South Florida will continue that. Coach, we've mentioned now name drop Kristen Scott, Caroline Delisle, Daria Rajayi was mentioned earlier, midfielder of the year in in conference. You have all of these talented players come back. Mia Senho, of course, we mentioned as well, but who do you think that hasn't exactly gotten a lot of accolades or that we've mentioned so far that maybe is flying under the radar that you think is in store for a big season this time around? You know, uh, I think like a, a Diana Martin is always like flying under the radar and she quite never like gets exact, like reaches her potential, whether an injury ends up happening or she gets, has a setback, but like she's due, you know, like she scored in our exhibition match and, um, she scored some goals over the spring. Um, so, you know, she, I know, you know, she's a player that I know can make things happen. So I'm hoping she really re- reaches that potential um, this, this fall. Um, Anna Henderson had a really good spring. She's a transfer um, from Louisville. Um, had, like I said, had a great spring. Um, I know Mal Olson, you know, she scores goals for us at times. So I know she's going to be fighting to get, you know, playing time and, and starting. And so I think there's just be good competitive, uh, you know, healthy competitive, uh, you know, battles going on for, like I said, I think the starting team is like going to be rotating because I, I think that we have more than 11 starters. Um, but yeah, I hope, you know, some of the players, like I said, Katie Bradley, I mean, she's a, a midfielder, younger midfielder, but she's really like doing really well right now. Um, Again, strong spring. So I don't know. There's just, I mean, there's a handful that can can come out and make a big difference because they're they're good footballers, and um, I love watching them play. Like this spring, I mean, this preseason has been great watching them connect and compete, and I'm excited for so many of them. With yeah. the the experience and the depth, do you have on this team? Do you expect more balance offensively, scoring wise? Do you expect it to be coming from one to two? It's harder, but how do you see the offense goal scoring? Uh, playing out if you had it your way uh this season kind of how you envision it with the roster you've got I mean I always prefer to be balanced and it not just coming from one person I mean I think it's easier like when we play a team and it's like one person that scores all the goals that's a little bit easier for us tactically to be able to handle that um so if you have five or six players on your team that are scoring goals like we're balanced and that's harder to defend so I I hope there are a lot of goal scorers. Like I said, in the exhibition match, it was Anna Henderson and uh, Dayana Martin that scored goals. Um, You know, Mia, you know, assisted. And I mean, I just think there are so many different players that can uh, 
have those opportunities or create those opportunities and make it happen. So I uh, definitely prefer the uh, balance and having a lot of different goal scores. And you know, mentioned Ellie Moreno too. She's been a point leader on our team. She's been a little quiet this preseason so far, but um, I expect um, I expect her to come out of her shell a little bit. Who is your vocal leader on this team? You know, we have a few. Um, you know, our captains are uh, Kristen Scott. Uh, so she, obviously she's vocal. Daria Rajai, she's not like this super like dominant personality, um, but the team has a lot of respect for her. So um, she'll be vocal in certain ways with like teaching. Um, and then you've got Caroline Delau, who's um, she's vocal. Um, and then Matukak is not not very vocal. <laughs> she's pretty quiet for a center back too, but she's she's come out of her shell more. Um, Mallory Olson is actually super uh, vocal. We've got a handful veteran players, like I said, um, they're all comfortable. But what I love is that they all respect one another, and anyone feels confident like speaking up. Um, and that's how I want it to be. I want to have the type of culture where anyone can speak at any time, and um, you know, they, they have a lot of respect for one another as long as they do the work, which they all are. So they all have the opportunity. You know who's actually pretty vocal, even since her freshman year coming in as injured as Mia Senyo. Like she just has this personality, like she's a leader. Like she was a leader as a freshman. Like I said, she hadn't even had the ability, opportunity to like prove herself as a soccer player yet for the team. And she was already um, uh, helping and uh, encouraging. And uh, she's, she's going to be exciting. Yeah. What's the ceiling for her? Because I've known you now for a decade. I don't remember you talking. I mean, even last year, talking about a freshman as highly as her and what she's a, what her capabilities are in helping your team. What what's the ceiling for her? What can what kind of player is she? Yeah, you know the fact that she just came out of the gates and was you know uh, already um, made a splash after the summer, being in the top eleven, the USLW, like. I'm like, whoa, like I actually was not expecting that at all. Like, like I watched her this spring. She just wasn't quite there fitness wise. She actually scored a goal against Miami in the spring off of corner kick. So it's like, I know she's going to make an impact, but she quite wasn't as mobile yet as not, not as fit yet. So I didn't quite see her full potential yet. So I was actually like thrilled to see how well she did this summer. And I think now that that just gave her like the confidence and now you're seeing it in preseason and she's just now she's up to speed. Um, so I don't think that there's a ceiling for that woman. <laughs> she's full package. Uh, I don't know if you've seen her, but she's, she's, she really is full package. Well, we can't well, wait to forward. see her. Yeah. Can't wait to see her on the pitch. Can't wait to see everybody else out there. You guys have one more exhibition. It's your only home exhibition uh, on Friday at 4.30, and it's against Miami. You mentioned you play them in the spring, so you get another crack at them in the exhibition schedule. And then the regular season starts on Thursday, August the 18th. That's one week from this Thursday, 6 p.m. against the Florida Gators. Starting out with the Gators right out the gate, Coach. I love it. You know, know, at home against the Gators, like August 18th, home opener. I mean, it's like the best way we could start our season. I love it. Super excited. Hopefully we can get a lot of play, you know, like a lot of fans out there watching the match. I know. Well, it's, it's, it be, hey, it'll it's, be wild. It's, it should be fun. It should be yeah. a lot of fun. I know you're looking forward to getting another crack at your alma mater, the Tar Heels, because y'all had that game last week that got, or last year that got cut short due to the weather, right? So we, did. we had some weather issues last year, Yeah, a few matches, but uh, 
you know, but yeah, I think uh, we're, I'm always excited to play UNC. I mean, they're one of the best teams in the country, the dynasty. I love seeing my former coach, like mm-hmm. it just, you know, Tim played there too. So it's for both of us, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. Actually, my daughter is going to come with us on that trip. Um, she's a freshman in high school. She's, she's not playing soccer right now, but um, you know, it's that time where she has to start looking at other, other campuses, universities. So I'm like, Hey, come to, come see, come check out, come check this out. So she's going to come on. Oh, there. you're going to give her the tour, aren't you? You're gonna give, <laughs> oh man. Nostalgic. Although I'm trying to get her to go to UCF. So we'll see. All right. Well, hey, listen, I know it's going to be fun. We can't wait to see you out there uh, on the 18th. Best of luck in the exhibition. Best of luck throughout the season. Tiffany Roberts, T.R. Sadak on Twitter. And you're pretty active on there, too. So and we always love to see that, you know, everything that you've been sharing For the few about. Minutes so she's available when she's not coaching either. Team yeah, I know. When you're not on a plane somewhere, and- you know, jetting around the country to, to the, you know, <laughs> to doing what you do, taking care of all your responsibilities. But we're looking forward to seeing you out there. And I can't believe we're already getting ready to start the season. This is going to be a fun one. Our last ride in the American before the yeah. Big 12 is going to be fun. I'm ready. I'm excited. Usually I'm like, you know, I don't know. I'm like, I'm ready to go. Like, like, let's go. It's veteran groups. So I'm like, come on. We've been training to do Let's go. I'm ready. All right. We're ready yeah. to Tiffany Roberts, head coach UCF women's soccer. You can follow the Knights at UCF underscore W soccer on Twitter as well. Thank you so much, coach. We'll see you uh, for the opener against Florida. All right, guys. Thank you. Thanks to Coach Sahadak, T.R. Sahadak on Twitter. Once again, UCF underscore W soccer on Twitter. Guys, I'm actually really excited for this year because, I mean, we know about how good Kristen Scott is. We know about Carolyn Delisle. We know that this team, I I think they, I think last year they really, the injury problems that we saw were primarily because, and how quickly we forget about this, right? They played a spring season in summer in 2020, in 2020, or no, in 2021, because the fall 2020 season got pushed back because of COVID, right? And so they went full blast spring 21, full blast fall 21. And obviously they weren't the only team that had to deal with that, right? But that's why I think injuries were a big part of that. So... Seeing them come back this year, I think with a full normal offseason, this is the first time since since then that they will have been that that they're back on a normal schedule. Well, the big thing too, as you mentioned, I, it's the first time I've seen her mention she has depth and experience. I think the last few years she's kind of acknowledged they've either last year she didn't have the depth. Some mm-hmm. years she just hasn't had the experience. She's got the combination of this. With only the one departure, you had some pieces, you know, like, I mean, you saw, you heard her, how she talked about the young freshman there, Mia Asejo. Yeah. I, I mean, I have not, I, I, you know, she's glowingly talked about a lot of players. I mean, I believe we've had her now. I mean, we've had her on every year since Banneret started. Yeah. Uh, if you include the years before that, I don't remember her talking about a freshman this glowingly, like Mia Asejo, who... Remember, even last year, Jeff, when we interviewed, remember how she mentioned she was out for the year, <laughs> like right, like, and you yeah. could tell in her tone, like, oh, that hurt. And yeah. so this. Well, she, now we know why, because she scored eleven goals in twelve matches. Well, and and that's big because I think outside of Kristen Scott, they struggled offensively, and I know she's hoping for balance. Mia and Seho could help that process with them, with more experience on the back line to help Caroline Delisle. You know, that could be the big difference maker. Look, 
they were in position to make the NCAA tournament. They had the resume. The problem is, as she mentioned, in conference, it just slipped away. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens this year. But you look at that schedule. Let me highlight this. This is insane. September 4th, host Old Miss NCAA tournament team. At North Carolina, September 11th. It's North Carolina. They need but, to say. But by the way, let's let's not forget that they opened the season with Florida, but Florida had a bad year last year. Yeah, they, they got a first-year coach. Four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they go to LSU. LSU has a great high-octane offense there. But this is the stretch consecutively. Old Miss at home, yep. tournament team. At North Carolina, tournament yep. team. Open conference at Memphis. And what could be the final time that those two rivals play NCAA tournament team. They're the favorites in the American at Texas, future Big Twelve game finishing the home and home. UCF remember trash Texas last year in the in the opener. So you know that's that's a brutal four match stretch. And the only one at ma- home is against Ole Miss. Yeah, that is wild. I think we're gonna know where that team stands after that point. That is yeah. incredible stretch. But by, by the way, after that, you talked about those how tough that four match stretch is. Well, guess what? Eleven days off, but they still have to play Cincinnati at home after that. Cincinnati beat them three to one in the in the season finale last year. I would argue cost them an NCAA at large bid with that. Probably, that, that probably result. did. Yeah. Uh, and then they got to go October sixth up to Temple in Philly. It's yeah. gonna start gets. It's gonna start to get chilly up there. Uh, and then before they come back home three days later for SMU, like this is. Yeah, she was right, and, and I, you know, I didn't get the chance. Doggone it! I didn't get the chance to ask her about the 21st century model, which we've talked with Scott Calabrese about. And I think that, you know, the men are going to, if, if, and when that does happen, it's going to happen with the men first where they, where soccer becomes a two semester sport. But uh, did you catch coach Tiff kind of talking about how, you know, it's really not good for the players to play these two games in one week kind of schedule. And I, and I regret the, we had her. We didn't get the chance to ask her about that because um, yeah. I, I, I think she, I, in the past we've kind of mentioned it to her, and she kind of like she kind of didn't. She it didn't feel like she was on board, but that's the first time I've heard her say that. Well, I think you mentioned make a great point to basically play two seasons in one last calendar year. So that's probably yeah. when you noticed that. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I'm not convinced that any of that's going to pass anytime soon in either soccer. We'll see when we have Coach Calabrese. I just don't think the universities want to spend it for two semesters. Uh, but we'll see. But, you know, she's focused about right now. I mean, she's busy enough. I mean, pretty cool scoop. She's going to be coaching the U.S., obviously the assistant. They won the, the tournament in Mexico. They're going to, She's going to coach through the World Cup. You know, that the last UCF player to be part of Team USA, the U.S. national team in a World Cup, I believe, was Michelle Akers. Now, we've had yeah. others. Lena Reyes, obviously, with Brazil and, and others. So I, I don't want to make it sound like it's, you know, oh, but, the, but not with the USA. Correct. Team USA. So I, that's, I, I think that's been an underreported coverage of that. I'm glad we got that scoop. I had no idea. I knew she was with the U.S. assistant as assistant on the national team, but I didn't know she would go through the World Cup. So that's pretty awesome in the way they're balancing that out. Last bit, Bryson, go ahead. Yeah, I, I like what you had to say with the 21st century model because la- last season with the double the double up in 2021 almost felt like a, a nice little proof of concept for how the 21st century model could work. And considering the results of women's soccer season and how they kind of flamed out at the end, I mean, ha- you have to wonder if maybe that that result kind of soured the concept 
for Coach Tiff a little bit because when you have a year-long soccer, that's what ended up happening. Now, the good news is, is when it comes to this season, is she now has that depth so that way she doesn't have to run her players ragged like she does. I mean, she ha- she returns some great core players, and now she's finally bringing in some people that can back them up. So I, I mean, well, I'm excited to see what this team has in store for us. Well, as far as I know from the uh from the last from from the models that that i've seen uh, is that you wouldn't have a spring followed by a fall where the fall is that intense right you would have few much fewer matches in the fall than what we saw after the spring of 2021 so i i kind of liked how we had the college cup in the spring i think it wasn't it wasn't swarmed over by the beginning of basketball and the end of football. Well, we talked about television with the Big Ten yeah. deal in the first segment of the show. The NCAA, as we mentioned earlier, NCAA championships deal with ESPN runs out after 2024. So to me, if, if it, any of that is going to pass, I would think it's starting with the 2025 season with whoever the TV partners will be. I personally believe that the College Cup would benefit from being in the spring. I think they have a horrible TV slate right now. And I think volleyball and soccer are probably both linked into that. Uh, Kerry Sheffield, the Wisconsin head coach, has been very outspoken, concerned about the lack of volleyball on linear television. And I don't think this Big Ten TV deal is going to help that. So I think you're right. I think soccer would benefit from the spring. But again, there's a lot of logistics. Um We'll see what happens when we talk to Coach Caliber because I do agree with you. The men are going to do it first if it happens before the women mm-hmm. do it because uh, that's where the buzz has been more on the men's side than on the women's side. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see uh, how that plays itself out uh, with the TV, you know, what all that uh, settles. All right. Well, we again, thanks to Coach Tiff, and we will see UCF open their season, the regular season, against the Florida Gators uh on august 18th that's a thursday they are the first ucf team uh to kick off uh their regular season we come back we got uh, a bunch of stuff we're going to talk about in our little grab bag at the end including another uh ucf golfer taking home some hardware and a few other items to clean up uh as we uh get ready for well we're by this time next week will be it'll be mid-august stick around we'll be right back Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Bryson Turner with you. Joined by Andrew Glukoff here for our third segment. The uh, Leroy Jenkins of UCF Twitter Mafia uh, blasting through the door here uh, all by himself. Um, big day in uh, UCF history as the Hall of Fame Class of 2022 uh, is being uh, has been announced. Uh, two football players, of course, we mentioned earlier uh, with Kyle Nash, Joe Burnett and Latavius Murray are being inducted, along with one player that you're familiar with, Eric Lopez, Mackenzie Otis from UCF Softball, head coach Linda Gooch of the UCF Spirit Team, and Christina Sarf uh, from rowing uh, as well, joining the team are joining the uh, UCF Hall of Fame. So uh, five worthy nominees. Um, Eric, I'll start with you. 
Um, you had some have have had at least you know some insight into what was going on. Any surprises? Any things that you know about how this all kind of how this class came together? Well, I like the fact first of all that it's a majority female class in the year of Title IX. I think that's a good thing. So I'm, I was kind of worried a little bit what direction they might go with that. Like you know, but you know, but uh, I thought they did pretty good. I was surprised. For example, no Kirk Spiral. Uh, I thought with him retiring from Iowa, that could have been an interesting choice. But probably wait uh, a year. Maybe I don't. I, a year or two. You know, a couple years. The big thing that surprised me is Linda Gooch getting in because about a year ago, I was told that they don't put in active coaches; that they wait till they retire. Well, Linda Gooch, Linda, Linda Gooch is still active. Um, and I, I don't. I wonder your thoughts on this, guys. I want your opinion on this one. Like starting with you, Drew, because I remember Drew. We spoke about this in the group chat because you first thought, "Hey, I think Linda Gooch should be in," but then I said, "No, no, she's active." And you're like, "Yeah, you're right." They but no, they put it. Do you have a problem with a coach that is still active, especially let's say coaching at UCF that is still active coaching, being eligible to get into the Hall of Fame that quick? I that I'm, I'm not bothered by it, but I am surprised that they go that route, that you put somebody in before their career is over. Well, it's not so much I'm bothered by Linda Gooch getting in because she's most more than deserving. Absolutely. It's yeah. more the fact there's a lack of consistency. Yeah. there, There's no set, you know, you have to be out of school for this amount of time. You have to be out of, you know, coaching uh, at UCF for this amount of time, whatever. Uh, I, I think that's the big thing is there, there's a lack of consistency in the process. And I think that needs to be a little more ironed out. And I know why they keep it a little big because they want to bring in these exceptions to the rule and they want to open the door for that. So uh, uh, personally, I, 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 I would like to see something a little more concrete. You're not the first that brought that up, uh, but I think you make some valid points on that. Like the other change they made last year, it used to be, you had to be 10 years to get into the hall of fame. They changed that last year to seven. That's why Mackenzie Otis gets in so fast uh, because she gets she's seven years from graduating, which is really deserved. She's one of the four best pitchers of all time at UCF. You can make an argument she's the best ever, depending on what you do, uh, you know what you criteria is for that Mount Rushmore conversation of UCF softball. Linda Gooch is a three time national champion. I have no issues with her getting in. I just to your point, Drew. You know, are are we going to be consistent now with active coaches and that kind of. You know, that brings kind of a, a little bit of a gray area because how do you determine an active coach is Hall of Fame worthy? I, what is the I, criteria? I have, we don't I have really a, know that. I have a way. I have a way. Have they won a national championship? Right. Well, then Scott Frost should be in there by your yep, – Scott, yeah. Frost, Scott Frost would be eligible. Well, here's the difference. Uh, is he? Well, he's – right. I, mean, you know, I, I, I think that the only reason why they – why maybe he wouldn't get in is because he's still the active head coach at another place. Well, he only coached two, you know. Well, and he yeah. coached two years here only. I think they're going to hold that against well, him. On. Obviously, it would be more prestigious. But yeah, yeah, I think the national titles make sense. Sure. Well, the difference between someone like Scott Frost and somebody like Linda Gooch is that Linda Gooch has been around, for, remember, since 1984. Longevity. She's been co- she's been coaching that she's been coaching this program for almost four decades now. So I would argue that if there's one exception 
to the active rule is if you are doing it for more than like three and a, if you're doing it for more than three decades and you're doing as good a good a job as she's done then i think that she could be like the one exception i would make to that rule because of that this opens pandora's box because then you have other things you can make exceptions for such as the gene mcdowell issue uh, there it is. Opening the box. A tradition so, unlike any want, other. The I didn't want to. I didn't want to bring it up, Eric. What? What is the? I mean, Gene is up against the the rule that if you're convicted of a crime. Well, know, explain that, to the audience that may not be aware what happened because Gene McDowell. This was again a hot topic. So, and from what I was told, well, again this year, it's every year it's been a hot topic. Well, well we, of him. Well, we have to remember you know, G. McDowell passed away um, in uh, in 2021, um, and his career ended at UCF in in very uh, inauspicious uh, fashion, where he was the subject of a uh, of a federal investigation um, regarding uh, illegal cell phones back in uh, or, or or illegally um, uh, authorized cell phones uh, in in the late nineties and mid late nineties and, uh, pled guilty, uh, to that, uh, to, I, I think I, I forget the exact charges. I don't want to get them wrong, but, um, caused him to resign his position. Um, now he did, uh, he, he wasn't jailed. He's, he was placed under, I believe, uh, he was placed on probation. I think it was house arrest or something like that. I would, you know, but he, they, they didn't, they didn't ship him off to Leavenworth. Um, but nonetheless, that, uh, according to the rules of eligibility of the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame, uh, he is not eligible uh, for Correct. induction uh, because of at, the felony of the felony uh, right because yeah, of the felony the conviction. Now, by the way, the same applies to track and fields. Uh, a Fiat is it a, or, or not a Fiat Charles, but uh, Ariel Scott had Ariel Scott right off the field. Right, right. Ar- Ar- Ariel Scott, who was UCF's first national champion. Um, and you know, I, I've made my, I've made this case before and, and I know that this is, again, this gets debated, you know, behind closed doors year in and year out. I, I, you know, I understand the intention of the rule, but as a fan and as somebody who, you know, and as an alumnus and somebody who cares about, you know, the, the history of UCF athletics, I I think that if you, you I, I don't think the there are two reasons why I don't think the rule is a good thing to keep. The first one is it eliminates any chance of redemption by any uh, by anybody. Um, you know, having some sort of you know f- final redemption of you know whatever it is that they did wrong. If we're you know if we're interested in people repenting for their sins, then let's actually show that. Um, and the other issue I have is is kind of a this is kind of a libertarian take, but you know, if you think that someone's off-field transgressions overshadow their on-field achievements to a point where you don't think that they should be uh, that they should be inducted uh, into into UCF's athletics hall of fame, then you know what? Don't vote for them. You know, well, I, there I, are people that are not. By the way, there are that's, people. That's fine, but what they but but that. But there are people in that room, I'm sure, who, given the opportunity, uh, would vote for Gene McDowell. Uh, perhaps, yeah, sure. But, I mean, it, Drew, make a great point. Then you're opening up a Pandora's, a Pandora's box because Jay Bergman is— are you, is, though? Yes, because 
Bruce Miller is not going to get into the Hall of Fame because of all the off-the-field issues he's had in during his NFL career. Not pretty. If you Google his Bruce Miller, it's not no, pretty. I, I, no, listen, I'm not. I'm not Jay defending. Ber- Jay I'm not Bergman. defending any of that. I, Jay, I, I, right, Jay Bergman, who is UCF baseball, is UCF baseball, will not get into the Hall of Fame because of how his career ended with an alleged incident that got him removed from UCF. So. To Drew's point, you make an if you make a, if you say, well, we'll let this one slide. You're opening up a Pandora's box to others. And remember, this is the university's athletic hall of fame. And yes, whether you scoff at it or not, they're going to hold you to a higher standard than you know a regular hall of fame or whatever. Drew, there is one. There's there's one issue. And it's the same thing I brought before. Is is the consistency and yes. putting it out there. There's nothing that like there are people who still hold out hope that that Bergman and McDowell get in. I mean, you look at yeah. their what they contributed to UCF, and they most certainly deserve it. Absolutely, when you when you you take out those the, how their careers ended, the rest of the the their, their on field in sport achievements. Yeah, it, it it warrants it. However, there's nothing specifically that says what a candidate has to do to be qualified and disqualified from consideration and but you've already basically had the executioner come and take them out without ever kind of you know without it ever being put out there uh, i think that's wrong uh if if, if no, you're gonna, I, I agree I think so, so you so you agree with me Drew, that if like yeah. that if you're going to open up the pandora's box you know if people don't think that they should be in then just don't vote for them well you you've got to make the qualifications clear if 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 they if you know if, a, if someone has a convicted felony against them is grounds for disqualification put it out there don't just make it a, a silent thing put it out there well it is out there though but well i think to drew's point it's not out there like on document hey, hey right it's it's kind of within the room it's kind yeah, of been it, talked it's, about it's, quite, it's, it's not it's out silent. in public right it's, there's not uh, an announcement that says double check that it's not an faq uh, it's like there's not like an faq section you know but there's, right. <laughs> there should be something. Uh, no, have... it's it. No, it is. It is posted on UCF's website. The qualifications for nomination. All right. Well, we'll we'll check into that. But no, I've already it... checked into it. I'm putting it in the chat right well, now. Well, then they Wait, did put it out. It. I mean, but um, you know how you avoid this? Don't, don't commit a felony. Yeah, not that hard. Like, I just don't. I'm sorry. I don't feel bad about it. Like, I know it's not that I don't feel bad about it. No, and I'm not saying you do. I'm just saying. I mean, it's not. In in fact, I I support based uh, if as long as the universe is consistent with. I agree with that. I'm cool with that. Let me and and let me let me defend the. Let me defend the committee. Maybe that's the committee calling right now. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> it's had some changes. They've had changes as far as people, different people have run it over the years. That's probably why it's not. I think it's still evolving. And I think it's, and I'll just say this. I think the last couple of years, it's in the last few years, it's gotten a lot better. Like if you want. It's gotten Bryson a lot more this, formal. And I think that's, that is a good thing. Yes, that is a step like, in the right direction. Bryson okay. could tell you, like, there were some cl- Hall of Fame classes in the 90s, two, uh, uh, 2000. He was reading it off to me one night, and I wanted to throw up. Like, there was a year where, like, three administrators <laughs> yeah. got in, which was a joke. No, am I right, Bryson? Was that, yeah. Am I not right? Yes, you're not right. But speaking of administrators, um, th- another another name that is, mired, right. <laughs> that is mired in a little bit of scandal is UCF pre- former UCF president John Hick. Yeah, he's so not in this class either. Yeah. What do you do about that? 
Um, right? But was he? But was he convicted? Here's here's the language, and forgive me for interrupting, but I want to get this out there. That this is the language according on UCF's website for eligibility for the for being nominated for the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame. Uh, here it is: good citizenship, and I quote. To be eligible for selection, the former student athlete or, uh, or, or, or uh, the, uh, the former student, this is in regards stu- to student athletes, and I'll get to other contributors in a second. Former student athlete must possess and shall have demonstrated qualities of sportsmanship, character, and integrity. The individual is not eligible if they have previously been convicted of or pled guilty to any felony criminal activity. Same thing with the Accomplished Knights category, which is, uh, uh, and also uh, honorary uh, letter winners. It's in all three. It's, yeah, it's in all three. It's and all three I, and I want to, and that, that, that wording is, is crystal clear. The individual is not eligible if they have previously been convicted of or pled guilty to any felony criminal activity. And as we know, well, I don't think Bergman was. We don't what what we don't know what happened. Apparently that was settled. Right. I don't think any charges were pressed. I don't think no charges were were not pressed. That we're aware Uh, of. Obviously, in Gene McDowell's uh, uh, standpoint, Gene McDowell did did plead guilty. He plead he did plead guilty to a felony. uh, You know, from the whole cell phone scandal thing. So he would fall under disqualification or the good citizenship rule. But Jake Bergman uh, gets a little bit of a gray area, uh, but. Then you get to the other half of the good sportsmanship to be all eligible selection. The individual must possess and shall have demonstrated qualities of sportsmanship, character, and integrity. This is definitely a character question mark, and I could see how that could play against him. That's true. That's yeah. that's a good point. And by the way, I should clarify what I uh, said before. McDowell pled guilty to lying to federal authorities who were investigating the cell phone scam. And, and to give a little more background, the cell phone scandal popped up. UCF was at Nebraska in 97 and all of a sudden we're getting all these free phone calls uh, at a time when things were not free and people started asking questions. Yeah, it was, uh, he, he was, uh, uh, yeah. So he was um, tipped off um, from, from others of what was going on and lied to the authorities about it. Yeah. So I, I just, it, it's, some people you know, will say it's, it, I mean, the debate that that they're having in that room is it's been going on for years, is, has been going on for years. And it's analogous to the very debate we're having right now. Well, because then you go, well, you know, as we know, the difference between misdemeanor and felony is the one year mark. If you get past one year on potential jail time, it's a felony. But under that, it's a misdemeanor. So obviously this became a felony because it potentially had more than a year's worth of jail time. Obviously, it was as part of the plea that was negotiated out, he didn't, uh, he didn't serve time, but, but um, one thing, the, the big thing that's coming in with the, the, the debate is the nature of the felony. So it was a nonviolent crime. And, and as some people say, it was a victimless crime, which you know, I disagree on the victimless. We just don't necessarily view them as victims. Uh, basically the cell phone companies that were involved with this, they were the victims because they were being stolen from we may, you know, people may view that, oh, it's a big, bad company. The law is the law. If you don't like it, change the law. Until the laws change, it's the law. They were stealing. And he lied about it. So when you look at it, and, you know, I respect this. They have a very cut and dry policy on this. Be consistent. That's the only thing I ever ask is 
be I think they've been on that category. They've been, there's other things they haven't been. Like it used to be, you didn't, you know, if you didn't graduate, you weren't eligible. Now all of a sudden, you know, there's some gray area there. So, I mean, who well, knows? well, no, but, but listen. You look at the term of, you know, the term of alumni. Right. If you actually look at the literal definition does not necessarily mean you graduate. Right. I agree. So I, I, I you know, well, I, I, on... I think to me, that's the one big thing. I don't believe you sh- just because you don't graduate, you shouldn't like you should still get into the UCF Hall of Fame because in a lot of these sports, you're probably leaving early to join to do your profession that you wanted to do football. Well, not necessarily. Uh, well, what I, I'm saying, I don't, I don't think that a, part is we going to punish, punish... you're to punish a football player for leaving early and not well, make him eligible. In the what Hall I'm of saying fame? is just, it's not necessarily that they're going to leave early or not. It shouldn't be a it shouldn't be a rule at all. Right, right, right. I agree with that. That's it, what I'm saying. Right. right. It, it, you know, you've attended UCF. You know, that's yeah. what matters. You didn't get thrown out of UCF. Right, which is on, pro- which is why Ryan Schneider will not get in. You left on your anytime. own accord, right. Right. which either by transfer or you go to the right. draft or something. You left on your own accord or in the coach, you get a new job. And you you do it by the book. You do the you, You're basically doing the right stuff. You know, you're not getting thrown out for forging attendance documents or or anything of the sort. Uh, yeah. That you're right. That that's a disqualifier because then that there's your integrity part. Yep. All right. So spinning forward to this, um, yeah, let's go positive here. I like the class. I I, I want to, the class is listen. The class is really good. Obviously, I want to give a special shout out to uh, Christina Sarf. You know, rowing is always I feel like underrepresented. In, in UCF Athletics accolades. And congrats to her. She got in. Uh, and, and we've seen, you know, how good rowing has been rowing over the was, last few years. First All-American in rowing history. Yeah. yeah. Rowing was UCF volleyball's dominance before UCF volleyball dominance. Yeah. They yeah. won six in a row. Yeah. Five, five in a row. Five in a row. Five in a row. Yeah. yeah. And they've, COVID gotten, all that. they've gotten a little bit colder as, as some of the other, you know, SMU has, has risen up. And then yeah. they got screwed in the 20, you know, 2021 yeah. year with uh, the Ivy League backdooring into the NCAA finals. Uh, still sore about despite, that. Despite not rowing. Yeah, Drew's, I'm, I'm Drew's, still Drew's sore still, about yeah. that. Yeah, because Drew had tickets to Sarasota. No, Sarf's the first rower. I like the fact rowing's being represented. Drew, what's your thoughts? Joe Burnett, Latavius Murray. We, had, we asked Kyle about that. What's your perspective on these two? I had to explain. This is bad, man. We're old. I had to explain to Bryson that Joe Burnett's a legit Hall of Fame guy. Oh. Like, what? <laughs> Please explain to young Bryson. Well, I, I, Joe Burnett's as a gimme. Uh, actually, my issue is with Latavius Murray, not oh. the fact that that he's getting in, but when he's getting in. I, I think, I think there were players, and and I'd have to look again at the list um, because we talked about this. I went with um, players that went were before Murray uh, because they were, you know, there at an earlier time, and my thought is, you know, Murray's time would come, but. You know, let's not mince words. There is a natural favoritism towards football. I mean, football drives yeah. the gravy train. And current football guys that have been around the program and, and have done well in the NFL. Yeah, I, he's been in the NFL since uh, the 2013 season. You know, obviously he's getting, tw- you know, he's getting tw- closer to the twilight of his career, uh, but he's had a good career. I remember uh, the year that that you had uh, Brandon Marshall, Latavius Murray, and Blake Bortles leading all their positions in touchdowns. I mean, it was the year of UCF. I think it was 2014. Uh, it was the the year of, of UCF. Uh, so I Murray's proven it on the field, both in the pros 
Well, and he got college. screwed because O'Leary kept using Ronnie Weaver over him. Well, Come on, George. No, it wasn't Ronnie Weaver. It was Bryn Harvey. Bryn Harvey, Ronnie Weaver. Let's 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 be real. Let's be real. Bryn Harvey was an amazing. No, I like Bryn. I like Bryn. He got hurt. I agree. He wasn't the same That's afterwards. True. That's and true. before there's, there's a reason Brit there's a reason Bryn Harvey kept Latavius Murray second on the depth chart for three years. <laughs> now 2009, uh, Murray was hurt. He was out for the year, and he got in the doghouse when he tried to transfer away and came back to yeah. Syracuse by to the Syracuse. Way. Yeah. Well, he's from, New he's York. originally from central New York. That's yeah, right. He's from New York. He's getting into um, a hall of fame over there, up there too, I believe. And probably for his, for his high school, yeah, his yeah. high school. Yeah. yeah. He was an he's amazing athlete. He makes yes. bones about it. Uh, but it is not coincidence that Bryn Harvey started over Murray until he got, until Bryn, Bryn got hurt because he, oh, yeah, he yeah, was yeah. really yeah. good. He was really good. Now, Ronnie Weaver, uh, he was always just around and kept getting, kept siphoning carries. I mean, yeah. he was a walk-on. He was one of the hardest working guys in the team. He's he's a guy you feel good about, but I mean, they had better guys on the, on the team. They should have been utilizing more. But, uh, but you know, I would have looked at a player that played a few years prior. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have put Linda Guchin at this point. I would have waited. Uh, maybe the 07 championship team uh, should have gone in instead of Gooch uh, because it's been that long, and and that team won the national title. Yeah. They deserve about the uh, cheerleading team 15 year anniversary. They have the 03 team is in. Right. They, uh, they that could have been a possibility it. if they would have wanted to go that route. Uh, are you what? What other football guys are you thinking there? Like years earlier, though, are you thinking of a? Are you thinking of uh, Alex Haynes, who played well, in running back? Are you a, thinking? Uh, well, I liked Alex Haynes as a player, and at the time, you know, from a historical standpoint, he was he was good. But when you look at it more modern, it makes him look, kind of mitigates what he did on the field. You know, he was the starting running back of that two thousand four you know train wreck. Uh, oh, it wasn't it? his fault. It wasn't his fault, but I mean, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Uh, actually, you know, and this is a little bit of bias here. I lean towards Atari Bigby as a guy. I love Atari Bigby. Um, uh, he's always been a personal favorite of mine. My my yep. brother was his math tutor uh, when you know when they lived in CVI and both survived to tell the tale. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I I lean more towards him. I mean. You know, Haynes was good, but Bigby uh, was basically John Lynch in a UCF I uniform. I mean, that guy yeah. knew how to work the hit stick. I agree. Well, he should be. I I would not be surprised if he gets in maybe the next couple of years. I think the thing that's hurt Bigby probably is well, he's played during that independent Mac years, which is kind of well, like so did, uh, so did Haynes. I mean, Haynes. Right, yeah. and they're not in. That's what I'm saying. I think those guys got hurt. Well, wait, Asante Samuel did too. Well, I think his NFL career helped them. In that one, I and think if you want to be, if you want to really start nitpicking, Asante Samuel's college career is nothing compared to Big B's. Well, but again, this is my point. I think Samuel got because remember, and this is where I know you it, you don't necessarily get in just because of your UCF career. If you had a great NFL career, that you can get in that way too, like Brandon Marshall did back in uh, 2019. So the NFL career helps. That's why football has a, an advantage. Josh Sitton last year got inducted. In, you know, he had a nice UCF career, but he's had a great NFL career. So, yes, I think Asante Samuel got him in because of his good – now, he was really good in college. You're making it sound like he was – you know, he, well, was, no, 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 no. I'm, he, he did have a shortened career at his time at, at, at UCF. Uh, 
Uh, I believe it was only three years, I think it was. I don't remember all that. But... It was either two or three years. Um, and, and the fact that, you know, he kind of got... Oh, he got partially got overshadowed a little bit by Travis Fisher. Who kind of came out super of, drafted super high. Who's, yeah, it was drafted before him, yeah. uh, the year before him. Yeah, yeah um, Fisher was after the 2002 uh, two season, which like shocked the daylights out of me. Uh, you know, I was I was very surprised. Uh, but that's also another player that you know we could potentially see come down the pipe. He's Is another a, candidate. Yeah, yeah. A Fisher, uh, a Sia Burley. Uh, you know. Uh, you want you want the old you want an old time well, category think, there, well, right? Like, I, that's I, I like think, the baseball veterans committee. It sounds like you're pushing for that. Well, I mean, you got Joe Burnett, 2005. It was his freshman year, it's 2005 to 2008. Uh, you know, you're looking at that. You know, maybe a Quincy McDuffie, who is the best returner UCF has uh, ever Quincy had. Quincy McDuffie is a good best good and, choice. And Hall gonna, of Fame. We're going to yeah. remove. Really? We're going to remove the recency bias here. There is no better returner in UCF history than Quincy McDuffie. The stats back it up. It's true. I wouldn't. T- I'd still take Mike Hughes over him. Sorry. You could take and Mike I'm Hughes taking, all you want. I'm taking Joe he- Burnett over him. I'm ta- Joe Burnett was the UCF offense in 08. Oh, Drew, well, you I mentioned mean- this earlier. Mentioned how- <laughs> I was waiting for a sarcastic <laughs> response from Drew there, and he just it's, bombed it's on he's me. Not there. really wrong. Uh, but no are, weren't we all rooting in 08 like man can they just punt the ball to joe burnett that's the only chance we're gonna have to score or if our defense we were, scores because we know i remember, I remember we were like can we can we please switch joe burnett to the offensive side of the ball yes there you go two way <laughs> so. i was asking drew because you mentioned this earlier um you mentioned how you you talk about how you want these old hats but the the fact of the matter is at this moment these old hats are getting ignored. I, for one, for instance, have, uh, as far as old-timey football guys, really want to see Mark Nonsense get in because he has the second most received pet. Yeah, still up there receiving. History. Only one UCF history, receiver since yeah. then has gotten more yards than and Nonsense nowhere near Hall of Fame. The point is, is that these old hats are have not really st- seemed to have gotten much consideration. Yet Latavius Murray, you know, he's considering when he played, he's starting to kind of slip into that kind of hat because he played because because he played now over a decade ago like he graduated over a decade ago because let's not forget normally nfl running backs don't have as long careers as latavius murray has had which is much which is a big credit to him by the way and so getting him in now once his nfl career looks to be in his twilight allows him to induct him in a time where he's still fairly relevant and not letting him slip into that old hat period where maybe the people on the committee might forget about him in favor of people that were on those like that the 2017 team which is really close to coming well, well if you, you want know. to go with the with the decade thing he he needs to wait another year yeah uh, he did play the 2012 season hey, hey. Uh, so uh, he need he needs to to wait another year and then he would hit that decade plan but i mean you're right there are a lot of um older players from from yesteryear that that deserve consideration um, well i've said grow the class like i think you grow the number like all the other schools induct seven eight nine ten here we are we're starting we're going with five like st- which i think hurts other sports more so than, than football i think football well, yeah, you is going to always get two but other sports get basketball. Absolutely. basketball uh out of the modern era I think it's it's what just Jermaine Taylor. I Michael Donald yeah. not in. 
Josh uh, Pepper's not uh, not in. Neither yeah, is Dexter Lyons. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and while yeah. sure their pro careers may have taken to Europe, and that's not you know the professionals you know leagues here, and so that's kind of looked as a minor thing. But the value and the impact they had here was huge. I mean, basketball was men's basketball was the sport at the end of the Atlantic Sundays. I mean, football was was floundering in the MAC. I, you know, the, the women's basketball was, you know, kind of just floating along, but I, they, they really weren't, you know, the leader of it. You had baseball, you had men's basketball and, and we have players, you know, like, like, you know, like uh, uh, Matt Fox and, and Justin Pope and, mm-hmm. and Mike D. Roth. And, well, D Brown's already in for baseball. Oh yeah, that's right. That's uh, true. And, but, and Mike Roth, you know, guys, uh, Marat's not in. Yeah, he's not. In. There's uh, a lot have, of bases who have done a lot, you know, from that right. era and have been kind of forgotten about. We're, we're already kind of you're seeing all the everyone that's getting in is from a more modern era now. It's like they've shifted past those guys. Uh, okay, uh, so Justin Pope is in, but the other guys yeah. aren't. <laughs> Arnold in. Well, again, if you grow the class, I think you have a better shot of including more people from different eras in. That's what I've been pushing for. Go to six, seven, a list, and I think you have a little bit more wiggle room than you currently do. I, I, I would not want to be a committee member in the years to come uh, at all. If you stick to Fox, I gotta say, well, good luck. Eric, you're, gonna, you know, you're qualified I, I like to do it. I think you know more than most of these. Yeah, cats. but no, but I mean, this is gonna get harder. Like, wait, I mean, good, that's, good. If it was yeah, yeah, good, but you, but you, that's great. That's great for the university. That means no, we have a lot of people no. worth getting in, possibly. No, but the problem is, you guys are trying to make cases for guys for athletes in the '90s, 2000s. They got no shot getting in with some of the athletes coming in. Like, for example, next year, Shelby Turnier. The softball All-American is ineligible. She's going to get in. She's so going to be. what you're trying to say is you need a veterans committee. Yeah, Got it. Baseball. Yeah, I would be for that. I think that could help. I really do. Um, I nominate Eric Lopez to okay. run the veterans committee. I will. I will say. I want to. I, I want to end, end this with a little. End this Hall of Fame stuff with a little bit of optimism, though, because we, we last year we had our first track and field athlete in Afia Charles. Yeah. This year we have our first rower in Christina Sarf. I'm really hoping that this is a sign of a more open committee that is that is open to be to letting other sports in of course we also have Amory Blaney coming up in the next couple of years she could probably be the first cross country there yeah. are other sports that haven't made it women's in. golf Ashley Holder could get in for women's golf in a few years if they don't you know there's some ones they've kind of skipped over yeah I mean I think the committee's doing a better job Carlos McCann's is now running it from uh mm-hmm. from running it and I think he's done a fantastic job from what I'm hearing I think it's getting better I think the problem was it was so abysmal like 20-some years ago. Again, look at some of the classes they put. What was that one year? They put literally two presidents and an AD, and it was disgusting. Well, you yeah. know what? If you don't have enough people that are it's worth it, don't do it. That It's not that. Bad. It's disgraceful what it they did that one year. I forget. I mean, it's, it's not inducing, like, physiological symptoms. No, it is. I feel. Nausea or... You know, malaise. Or Although Drew's that. commentary in this segment has uh, made me feel better, I've, right. I've enjoyed this. Well, we well listen. Our, our There's your optimism right our, there. I our campaign continues to those who are to those who may who may be listening. We vo- we volunteer as tribute to assist the committee in any way, shape, manner, or form possible uh, in, in trying to 
in trying to tell the story of UCF athletics, which is what we're all pretty good here. One last little bit of news that we wanted to get out uh, before we uh, move on. Uh, Bryson Turner, the Canadian amateur. We have a UCF winner uh, of the Canadian uh, amateur, the 117th Canadian men's amateur uh, championship. Uh, Luis Carrera. Uh, four-day total, 274, two strokes ahead of second-place finisher uh, at Point Grey Golf Club, uh, Golf and Country Club in Vancouver, Canada. He is uh, yet another uh, off-season trophy coming home for a UCF golfer, Bryson. I I'm excited. I'm really excited to see that to see that happen. I mean, Jess Baker, of course, taking home the women's amateur out in England was a very exciting thing to see. And now to see Carrera do it on the men's side, it it it, it, it I think it establishes some confidence going forward as oh, going forward because golf does have a fall schedule that they do, but of course, spring is their big one. But I'm very excited to see what the, what they do. We now are going to be able to get to see Carrera because he now has a bid into the 2023 RBC Canadian Open and the 2022 US Amateur on August 15 to 22nd with fellow UCF men's golfer Igor Iroshenko, who's also yeah. going to be there. So that so very so much congratulations to Carrera that he brought home a purse of 1,200 Canadian dollars. So making a little money, making as a little money as he can being an amateur getting that so very well done for him and once again increasing the increasing the presence of UCF golfers on the world golf stage now now important question for you Bryson is the Canadian exchange rate favorable at this time to make that winnings worth it Uh, I I actually looked it up (laughs) um so 1200 Canadian dollars according to what I I I just use Google for this is the equivalent of 939.91 US dollars at the moment. So, uh, so uh, $931.91? 930, 939. 939.91. So, unfortunately, that 999 uh, deal for that new computer, uh, you still cannot afford. Well, but what's I, the taxes on that? That's that's the other the ta- thing. Well, yeah, I, you got to. By the way, that doesn't. That. That doesn't exactly uh, uh, preclude the fact that, you know, supply chain issues and whatnot being what they are. You know, if you can even get the, if you can even get the computer. And listen, we're getting too far afield here. Congrats to Luis. He deserves it. And we're really happy for him. All right. So that'll do it for us for the show. We got some events coming up this weekend. We're starting to really fire things up. Don't forget, uh, Friday night is the Charge On Tour downtown Orlando down on Wall Street. Saturday from 1 to 3 at the arena is the Fan Fest where you get to uh, interact with not just UCF football, but also I understand uh, volleyball and soccer will be there too. Uh, I know volleyball will be there uh, for that. So you get to meet them, get poster signed, pictures, you name it. It's a fun It's a fun time. I'm bringing my kids. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then uh, don't forget, uh, or actually the only one uh, who's uh, – men's soccer is playing Tampa in an exhibition – uh, on uh, Saturday, and women's soccer is playing an exhibition against Miami, 4:30 on Friday. But those are exhibition matches. We are now one week away from the first regular season UCF athletic event of uh, 2020 to 2023, with women's soccer taking on the Florida Gators at 6 p.m. on Thursday, August the 18th. Next week. Todd Dagenet, head coach of UCF Volleyball, joins us to preview his team. We'll get the lowdown on the Knights as they aim for a fifth consecutive conference championship. 
uh, for all of us here at Black and Gold Banner. And, of course, you can follow us individually. I'm at Jeff underscore Sharon. You can follow Kyle, who was with us earlier, at VSOTG for the student of the game. Follow Bryson. It's Bryson Turner. Follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo and follow Drew at Statboy Drew. Follow us all collectively at UCF Banneret underscore SBN. We are hovering around 700 followers, guys. I want to try and see if we can push for 1,000 before the start of football season. We got plenty of time to do it. Guys, if you don't follow us, make sure you double check. Let's try and get to 1,000 uh, as well. Don't forget to follow us on uh, YouTube as well. Just search for Black and Gold Banneret where you get all the latest uh from uh the press conferences that we're able to get to and thanks of course as always to the UCF sports communication staff for all their help in uh in get in enabling us and helping us get that content to you the interested UCF fan uh if you don't subscribe to our podcast please do we're on Apple and Android devices if you do subscribe please leave us a rating as well tell your friends about it make sure you follow us as well for all of us here on at the Black and Gold Banneret. I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the week. Hope to see you at FanFest. And we are just one week away from real live UCF sports. See you next week.